Good evening and welcome to Elosa Fumar Takes. This is our 225th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplessis, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is going to be a fantastic show. A first-time guest and way too long has passed since I should have gotten this gentleman on a long time ago. We're going to get to formal introductions in just a second, and we're going to talk about all things and everything. We're not going to be able to get to anything close to everything tonight, but it's something I'm really excited to uh, talk about with this gentleman, and we'll introduce him here in just a second. But before we do, let's thank those sponsors that make this show possible, and tonight's show is sponsored by Drew Estate. Drew Estate has done it. They've announced and launched the partnership that could only be made of dreams coming th- dreams dreams coming true james hetfield of metallica blackened american whiskey's rob dietrich released the all maduro blackened cigar m81 by drew estate announced during the freestyle life special edition broadcast drew estate joined by james hetfield of metallica and rob dietrich of blackened american whiskey revealed the mystery cigar contained within the company's latest freestyle live pack the all new uh, m81 features yes all Maduro tobacco, yes, and is specifically designed to be paired with some of blackened American whiskey. So it's the passion project that brings to, brought together three immensely talented and vastly experienced cigar enthusiasts, Jonathan Drew, James Hetfield, and of course, as we've said, Rob Dietrich, the master distiller and blended of, uh, blender of blackened American whiskey. The collaboration began with Hetfield and Dietrich, who were frequently enjoy cigars together. So check out uh, the new M81 that will be launching at stores uh, soon from Drew Estate. And welcome, everyone. This is our 225th take, and I'm pleased to welcome tonight for the very first time on this show, uh, sponsored by United Cigar and Smoke One Today and Start Living United, Toscano Cigars' own Michael Cavallini. Michael, how are you doing, my friend? My man, how are you? I am doing fantastic. Excellent. It is a wonderful evening. I am so excited to have you on the show. My deepest apologies that it's taken this long, but I wanted to get you on a milestone show, the 225th. You know, it's like one of those nice, even numbers, you know, except for I it's like an odd it. number. I like it. But. <laughs> no, I like it. And thank you. Listen, Bear, I got to tell you, it's, I'm ecstatic to be here. Uh, you know, we've had many a good conversation over the years, and it's at my absolute honor to be on the show with you. So thank you for... Uh, giving us me and Sigro Toscano the opportunity. I'm, I'm, I'm mostly just excited for a lot of reasons, just because there's a lot of, there's a lot of things I've always wanted to talk to you about, and there's no way we're going to get near to even close to it. Cause we, we have to throw in some Toscano tonight as well as like uh, a bunch of other stuff. I've, I've just, I've just wanted to talk to you about. So this is kind of, this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited. <laughs> um, but let's, let's start off something because I, I, I'm, I'm deeply passionate about food as well as cigars and other things too. And I know you're, you're Italian chalker, right? Spoiler alert. But, and, uh, <laughs> but I, I know, I know it's a, it's a very part, important, excuse me, important part of your family traditions as well and everything. So uh, I wanted yes. to bring up one of my favorite topics in Italian cuisine, which is um, the antipasto course. So of course. So first for those uninitiated, uh, that don't understand uh, antipasto is not the appetizer section at Olive Garden. That is an insult. So let's talk Bravo. about let's talk Bravo. about what uh, let's talk about what antipasto really is, um, which is uh, it is a part of the formal Italian meal. How many courses 
do you know, Michael, like how many courses are typically in the, like the formal Italian meal that is just never ending? I know probably, but. Well, usually, I mean, you have the antipasto or the aperitivo, then you have the primi piatti, the secondo piatti, and sometimes a terzo, then you go into your dessert and then you go into your after drinks. Of course, it wouldn't be right if you don't pair uh, wine or your favorite uh, drink with each and every one of those meals, which is something I love doing. As you know, that's part of my job as a uh, United States brand ambassador for the company. I love to pair alcohols and foods with our cigars. So, you know, I think it depends on how much time the Italian family has, which as you know, um, dinner time, especially is a very big, big portion of our day. Um, we usually have, I'd say three or four courses. My mother, God bless her. She cooks for my, my grandparents, my father, my wife, my, myself, when my wife and I aren't home cooking, we go down with my parents, which is pretty awesome. But, uh, I always say that my mother, instead of doing real estate or when she retires from real estate, she should go ahead and become a chef at her own restaurant because she's unbelievable. That's, that's, that's awesome. I, um, there's something about, there's something about your parents cooking. My mom always insisted that she was never a great cook, but, um, and I love cooking and she always like, Hey, where did you learn this? I'm like, well, I mean, I learned the recipe from a book or trial and error, but I mean, I learned about all this other stuff because you taught me and she's like, no, I didn't. Yes, you did, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, no, oh my God, my earliest memories go back to the times when I'd sit with my nonna and my, my mom in the kitchen and, you know, I, I love to cook now. So it's something that, uh, you know, as you said, in, in the Italian culture, it's always, it's, it's a huge part of who we are. So, uh, you know, the one thing that I always pride myself on is every dish that we make, uh, is made with love and passion, just like my nonna used to do. And my mother does now, um, even though my friends uh, from the meatball challenge didn't exactly agree with me on the way that we make meatballs, but that's a whole other discussion we won't get into. Well, it's okay, Michael. They were just wrong. That's fine. If they disagree. Yeah, I, listen, I, I'm so. not saying that. I didn't say that, but you know, <laughs> I, I, I just have, a, I did, you know, that's a whole other discussion. It's a whole other discussion. But the, so antipasto is, is, is something I'm really passionate about because I'm a really, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of, of cured and smoked meats. Um, so I, I've kind of, I've kind of enjoyed the, the char- the charcuterie phase that's been going on the last couple of years yes. and everything. Um, yes. but, uh, charcuterie is French by the way. So antipasto is Italian. Uh, but that's a very important distinction. Um, also I would say that the, uh, I would say that what I really, what's kind of morphed into, it's probably like a state staple in most charcuterie boards, but it's very much not a French thing, but very much an Italian thing is the, the amount of olives and the types mm-hmm. of olives. I love, I love mm-hmm. olives. But um, yeah, olives are fantastic. Another thing that's really big with a uh, good antipasto or the aperitivo, as we call it too, is uh, nuts. Unfortunately, I have an allergy to most of them, but that has become a massive part of the, the antipasto uh, scene. But it is pretty neat to see how popular that's become. It's kind of like the Aperol spritz. I don't know if you've ever had an Aperol spritz, yeah. but years ago, nobody knew what the hell an Aperol spritz was. And now you see them everywhere. Yes. Uh, my wife, wa- my wife and I went to this two day concert uh, a couple weekends ago and their feature drink was Aperol spritz. And I was like, I've been drinking these things for, since I was 21. How, why is this all <laughs> of a sudden such a new thing? So anyway, yeah, it's pretty neat to see. And, and, and I appreciate the, uh, the uh, concentration on the olive part because unfortunately olives, uh, not a lot of people love them as much as I do. And they're really good to pair with too. They're a good palate yeah. cleanser, a huge palate mm. cleanser. So 
I, I, it, they're, they're an acquired taste. It's much like, you know, it's much like wine, I think. Cause if like, I, I didn't grow up with wine growing up. So like my, my dad let me have like sips of beer and things like that. But like, mm-hmm. what well, wine was not big in our household. So wine was like a whole world I had to get into. Like, and really, I mean, when they say things are an acquired taste, like it really had, it really was an acquired taste for me. Um, which I love. I love wine. It's fantastic. Um, but olives are like that too. I, I think because they're just, yeah, I think, I think it's just such a, it's such a polarizing and very, you know, very distinct flavor. I mean, it's, they're just briny. They're very salty, you know, for the most part. And if, you know, you don't, yeah. if you have an aversion to that, then you're just not going to like olives. But much like Zambuca, Zambuca is usually a love or hate relationship. Before the show, you and I were talking mm-hmm. a little bit about Zambuca. It's love or hate. Some people absolutely love it. Others hate it. I think that unfortunately in, in when you talk about, uh, very differentiating palettes. Some people are afraid to go outside of what they know, but then when they do end up going outside what they know, they fall in love with it uh, and realize that they've been missing something for quite some time. So uh, I like to say that about Toscano too, which I know we're going to get into, but that's definitely an aspect of uh, what I do to kind of get people to think outside the box a little bit and try something that maybe their palate wouldn't necessarily think would be good. And then they have it and they fall in love with it. So you have that with olives, you have that with different alcohols, wines, by the way, sorry that you weren't, you know, brought up with wine, man. I mean, when you're ready to dive into wine, let me know. We'll, we'll do that another day. That's, that's a hell of a lot of fun too. Actually, this is something I want to pursue with you because I do want to get more into Italian wine. I feel like it's the one, the one, um, you know, infamous region where I, I really, I'm just, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm really, really a newbie when it comes to that. Whenever you're ready. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, <laughs> okay. So one of the things, um, uh, the, while you're uh, picking my, my, uh, my first cigar here, which has become a staple here on the show, I always allow my guests to pick my cigar. So I've got uh, three, cho- actually four choices here for you. Um, as you know, I was smoking a Toscanello before the show, but I still have it as an option for you. So the three, the four options that I've got for you is I've got the Toscanello uh, Rosso Cafe, the Macchiato, which is, uh, I believe, your favorite of the Toscanellos. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the Antico, mm-hmm. the Garibaldi, and... Mm-hmm. Why not go with not? Why not have the classicos laying around as well? So, what would uh, what fantastic. would you like me to smoke tonight to start with? Well, I I think that it would be iconic in every sense of the word to go ahead and smoke the Toscano Antico, considering that's what I'm smoking right now, and the fact that uh, you know we just won the Cigar Trophy Award for Best Cigar Other Countries. Uh, I think it's a good opportunity to go ahead and dive right into this cigar. It's also the same cigar Clint Eastwood smoke and all the spaghetti westerns. So that's a good opportunity to kind of talk about that launch from there, if you will. Absolutely. Well, so let's dive in here. Yeah. I noticed the medal here, uh, the award that you received. So yeah, you won second year in a row. So tell us a little bit about that accolade. Uh, Cause I don't think a lot of people, maybe our audience isn't familiar with it necessarily. Um, uh, for everyone watching, this is not the uh, cigar aficionado top twenty-five list. Although they probably no, I've never seen the Toscana. They should they should review your cigars. Well, I'm, I'm, I mean, here's the thing with reviews. So first of all, the cigar trophy thing it's a, it's a huge uh, a huge honor for us to receive. I mean, they go they dive into every premium cigar brand across the entire world. So for Toscano to get that one award for us for the second time is it, it's a huge huge step forward. Uh, both times it was also won by the Toscano Antico, which is pretty impressive, which really shows that, you know, our 230 million plus consumers a year 
have fallen in love with what is the Toscano Antico, which is the antithesis of what Sigaro Toscano is. I mean, that is, it's the best of both worlds. It's a nice mixture of the Italian tobacco and the American tobacco. Uh, so we were really blessed and honored to have Cigar uh, Trophy give us that, that, uh, that award for the second time. Um, but it's, it's also one of my favorite cigars and, and sometimes I forget it's my favorite. So that might sound really strange, but at the end of the day, it's a cigar that I love, but don't always go to. Uh, and it's, it's more and more becoming my number one smoked Toscano. Uh, we do have quite a large portfolio, as you know, which I, I'm not trying to jump ahead of you, but we'll probably dive into shortly. But, you know, it's, it's definitely one that should be put in everybody's Toscano rotation, if you will. Yeah, I'm, we de definitely want to dive in. Um, bef before we do, um, I just I have to give just a couple more minutes to talk about uh, one thing of antipasto because there's 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 something that I've I've absolutely loved, that, and I I hope you like it too. Otherwise, we we might end this conversation early because I absolutely mm -hmm. love it. Um, mortadella. How do you feel about it? First of all. So mortadella, it depends. They make a couple different types. If it's got pistachio yeah. in it, I can't eat it. Right, I figured. And that's the true. Allergy. That's that's the true mortadella, unfortunately. Okay. If it's more, if it's the if the if it's the mortadella without the pistachio, then we're in business, and I do like it. Is it my favorite meat that could be put on an antipasto or an aperitivo? No, but I like it. So let's not end the show. I'm saying that so we don't end the show. <laughs> Okay. No, but kidding aside, I mean, my, my favorite when, when we talk about that would be, uh, you know, the prosciutto, prosciutto di Parma, or uh, I don't know if it's very well known. It's more like a capricola than anything, but we call it in Umbria lonza, which is the butt, shoulder butt of the pig, and it's dry cured. I make them here uh, at, at my house in the, in the winter. It's absolutely delicious. If it's made in a cellar, that has a dirt floor. Like I have part of my cellar still has a dirt floor where I make, I hang my prosciutto and my lonza. It's, it's unbelievable. It's absolutely delicious. All right. That, that settles it. I'm flying up to Pennsylvania, man. We're doing this. Uh, Dude, I already invited you before yeah, I the know, show. So, I know. I mean, when I you're know. ready, <laughs> when you're awesome. ready, especially wait until like February when the, when the, when the, we're actually hanging the meat and it's almost ready to be eaten. And Heck then we'll uh, have that discussion. Walk out to the cellar itself, and like with coats on and everything. We we'll see our breath, cut yeah. some meat down. Heck yeah, I'm down. That's awesome. Yeah. No, um, yeah. I was I was crazy because I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not Italian, so I don't know. But like the, the one with pistachios is my favorite, so that's why I was wondering. I'm like, am I am I enjoying? I didn't know if I was enjoying like an American Americanized version of, <laughs> of, of mm -hmm. a staple or of a uh, of Italian antipasto. So it was. Then uh, it's good. Um, I absolutely love it. Prosciutto is I'm really sorry that I, I'm sorry that it wasn't my number one, but you know, oh, it's okay. like I said, if it's without the pistachio where we could have that discussion and I do enjoy it every once in a while, but my go-to is definitely prosciutto yeah. and uh, good cheeses and, and the olives that we talked about earlier. So, yeah, so I'm starting to get hungry. Yeah, I'm I know. So starting to get hungry. <laughs> so, yeah. I had, um, I had uh, Italian for lunch too. So it kind of got me in the mood a little bit. Uh, it was not. Uh, it was not on purpose either. So, but uh, Soprasada is another one of my favorites too. Oh, if it's made right and you got the right amount of spice and everything, I'm in. I, I yeah. agree with you there. Soprasada sure. can be delicious, or a good salumetto, which is a dried salami. I'm in, hundred percent. Good stuff. Well, let's yeah, let's dive in here, Michael. Let's uh, let's go to our major point. Uh, tonight's major point is brought to you by the people. Yes, 
Cigar people, the people who know everything about a lifetime of service protocol cigars is more than just pool parties and good times. Well, maybe it is. But behind, behind the fun is a motivation for service, a motivation for giving back. From the original Protocol Blue to the latest release in the Lawman series, Phoebe Cousins, Protocol has always been about honor, passion, and yes, the people. It's what their life's work has been and always will be about. Power of the P, Protocol Cigars. So, Michael, there's a there's a lot that I want to cover with you, uh, but we do have to dive into um, since this is the first time uh, for my audience that you've been here. We do have to dive into what makes a Toscano, um, and this uh, and and you have a you have a you have a major major influence on my smoking of Toscano. Uh, it's something I tried long before I met you. Yes, um, but you are responsible for uh, the reason that I have them always on hand. Um, that I've enjoyed them more and more as the years have kind of gone past. So, um, but for those people who don't know, um, what is the difference between what we're smoking now um, and what most of my audience would consider a traditional premium cigar? Um, because I mean, these look very different. So everything is the answer. Literally everything <laughs> is different. Um, you know, Toscano, in general, it started off as an absolute accident. It actually started off as a disaster and then ended up being one of the most powerful brands in the entire, in the entire world, realistically. You know, uh, a bunch of our tobacco got soaking wet um, after it was harvested in late August of 1815. And they had to figure out a way to make the tobacco pliable. So they let it sit in the sun. Tobacco naturally fermented. It stunk to the high heavens. Um, and the tobacconists had to come up with a way to, to just make the tobacco go away pretty much. So they started to, they had an idea to dry the tobacco out a little bit more after it naturally fermented and put it over fire on strings uh, and kind of dry the tobacco that way. And it produced such a unique flavor that the townspeople throughout Florence fell in love with it. And then fast forward three years to 1818. When the uh, nobility, the noble families of Italy started to smoke, it fell in love with it. And from that point on, it was just the launching pad for Toscano. Uh, you know, our tobacco is harvested in two places in the world, Italy in five different regions, Veneto, Umbria, Toscana, Lazio, and Campania. Each uh, province of Italy producing a different flavor tobacco, a different body tobacco. Uh, and that, that's where about 70% of our tobacco comes from. And then the other 30% comes from uh, Tennessee here in Tennessee. The interesting thing about it is, is that all the tobacco that's harvested in the five regions in Italy is from the original Kentucky, Tennessee region. Right. So it's Kentucky, Tennessee tobacco that's fire cured in Italy, naturally fermented, et cetera. Um, Which is why, if I don't interrupt for just a second, that's why no, 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 boxes please. say, many of the boxes say, or actually all of them say, at least the ones that I have, 100% tobacco, Kentucky. Yes. So it's, this, it's referring to the seed. Not to That's the correct. tobacco. Okay. That's correct. That's correct. Because in Italy, you know, it wasn't indigenous of that area, this particular seed of tobacco. So they started to hybrid, you know, do some hybrid uh, options with the tobacco. And they came out with something that really is, is like I said earlier, uh, has produced 330 million incredibly happy cigar smokers across the world. So the whole point is, is the whole point behind what I just said is, is to understand that Toscano initially started as an accident and turned into what it is today. Um, even here in the United States, we've been here um, mass distributed since 2015. Um, 
I'm not sure if you recall, initially, Miami Cigar Company was the mm-hmm. company that was mass distributing us throughout the U.S. They did an amazing job for us. Uh, great thing about our cigar industry is you, you're, you're still always in touch with everybody, um, even though we don't work hand in hand anymore. I'm still really good friends with all the guys that are with Miami Cigars. So, um, you know, that was a good partnership that we had. They helped us kind of launch a bit here in the United States. And then uh, to, a year ago, we decided... Um, to uh, mutually split and we brought our distribution internally to our American subsidiary, which is Avanti and Perotti. And we ship all our products from right down the road from my house right now and in Dunmore, Pennsylvania, all across the United States. Um, that's a, that's a really reader's digest version of 200 and it's 205 years next year, 2023, 207, 207. 207. So it's 207 right now, 208 next year, technically since the first Toscano cigar was rolled, Mm -hmm. but we celebrated our 200 year anniversary, excuse me, anniversary in 2018, uh, because it was the hundred, the 200 year anniversary of the first mass production of Cigaro Toscano. Okay. Okay. So is that, is that, you know, does, yeah, that no, sense? I was, uh, that was, I was actually going to ask for clarification. Like, so what do you, what do you guys consider? So what do you guys celebrate um, when it comes to, I mean, this, but 200 years, I mean, we talk a lot about legacy and tradition in this kind in, in this industry a lot. And there's certainly some major ones, but I mean, this, this is it. I mean, this is, this is the oldest yeah. standing company in the world uh, when it comes to mass producing. Yeah, I, arguably that's correct. And, you know, I appreciating you saying that I had a lot to do with you, you know, making Toscano part of your rotation. But I mean, it, it's true, but I'm also fortunate to have the position that I have to have such a story tradition behind a premium product like Sigaro Toscano. It takes education to get people there though. People, like you said, most, you know, most American consumers that have never seen Toscano before, will look at it and be like, what the hell is this thing? I'm not smoking it. I, I want nothing to do with it. And then they light it and realize, oh my God, this is a delicious cigar. But why is it so delicious? And then when they hear a little bit about the history, they hear the fact that it's premium tobacco uh, fire cured and harvested in Italy and the U.S., which stimulates both economies, which for me, obviously, is a win-win because that's two countries that mean the world to me, the United States and Italy. So, you know, I go to work every day knowing that I'm helping stimulate both economies little by little, uh, cigar by cigar. So, you know, it may not be much, but it's still a really nice thing to think about being an Italian-American, a very proud Italian-American, too. Well, I think that, I mean, let's, let's talk, let's kind of like kind of talk about my journey with Toscano. Cause I think it, I think it's, I think it's probably very consistent with most of your consumers that, that don't know anything about it. Because when I, like I said, I smoked my first Toscano long before you and I met, but, and I think, I think there was a lot, first of all, there was a lack of knowledge and there was a lack of understanding of what it was. I really thought I was, it was a, you know, a, you know, a guilty pleasure. I thought it was something um, I thought I was at the time, I thought I was smoking a cheap cigar, right? It does, you know, it's, it looks like you said, it looks completely different. Everything about this is different. The way it looks, it, you know, it's beautiful to the, you know, the entire country of Italy and, and most of Europe who actually refer to all cigars as Toscanos, right? It doesn't matter if it's Toscano or not. They, I mean, that's how synonymous Toscano is with cigars is, they call them Toscanos. Um, yeah, and, I mean, when you have ninety six percent market share, I mean, that's, that you know, too. Toscano, yeah, Toscano, 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 you know. Uh, but um, and I mean, it's very it's very rustic looking, which I've actually come to appreciate from a from a premium prescri- uh, an alternative premium cigar uh, 
perspective as well too i kind of like that rustic look anyway but when i when i first smoked it and like especially with some of the flavors that i was getting from the fire cured tobacco it's it's different and like you said everything about it is different and and it wasn't the same experience that i was used to having with the cigar so i thought okay this is this is something that's gonna be you know and every once in a while or or kind of like uh in the moment kind of thing and just when I need to, but I've found myself smoking more and more of it over the years, especially after I learned all about the story and what I was really smoking. And, and I could, I could, I think I truly appreciate it. And I think, I think that that, that sounds kind of weird and to a certain, uh, to a certain person listening, it might sound, it might sound kind of like fake. Oh, well, you didn't want to smoke it until you, you knew the background. But I think that's, I think that has a lot to do with a lot of, a lot of cigars. Like when you meet the people behind it and you meet the story behind it, I think it makes it more of an attractive product. And, and you, you know, I can't smoke a Toscano looking for a Liga Pravada number nine, because it's just not it. Right. I can't right. smoke expecting to get a Davidoff because it's just, that's not what it is at all. Um, no, Toscano's Toscano. Toscano's mm-hmm. Toscano. That's exactly. where we stay all the time. And, you know, you hit the word, one of the words that I use constantly um is rustic because that's what we are so essentially what we what we what we strive for with Sigaro Toscano Bear is to ensure that everything that mother nature provides to us via the tobacco we provide directly to the consumer that's why you get all those flavor profiles that you talked about flavor profiles that sometimes you can't always find in other tobacco and that's not taking away from other tobacco it's just our tobacco is so unique in the fermentation process and the fire curing that you know those notes of clove hickory oak molasses honey all pepper black white red pepper delicious spice different peat moss depending on the aging of the tobacco like Sigaro toscano itself all of our cigars look the same but each cigar has its own story to tell mm-hmm. each cigar is its own piece of art so for the listeners out there today and those who will listen after today if you're going to take anything away from this discussion tonight understand that you're smoking a 207 year old piece of history and art that has survived two world wars that was smoked by so many famous people both in american cinema and throughout the the italian peninsula it's just it becomes entrenched and entwined in everything that we do as a people and the united states consumer those who have caught on to toscano finally are understanding and seeing that because like you said initially it might be something yeah i'll try it i'll smoke it every once in a while oh it doesn't need to be in the humidor so therefore i can have but then you realize the beauty of it the more you smoke the more flavor that soaks into your palate the better the understanding of our story who smoked it why we did what we did who we are today what we've become it changes the discussion completely Mm -hmm. i I mean let's let's go back to the fire curing process again just to understand it like so you know obviously it it, I think what to the, to the American cigar smoker, um, you know, companies like Drew Estate, for example, with the Kentucky fire cured and some other offshoots of it um, kind of brought it a little bit to, for, to, I guess, to the foreground, but that was kind of a perfect timing for you guys. Like you said, you became mass marketed here in the United States in 2015. And that was right around the time where, you know, Sam Lucia came out with the black label um, the Kentucky fire cured the American Puro that George Rico did. So like it was, it was perfect timing for you, for you guys 
to really mm-hmm. launch into the market and for people to really appreciate what it was. The um that I the the thing that I really really like about the Toscanos as opposed to like some other ones, for example, is that that fire cured aroma and flavor depending on de- depending on the, the the brand the the line of, of toscana but for the most part it's not overpowering no and i think that's what kind of maybe kind of throws some people off at first because they think that oh like oh man that's 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 just too much and and it's really just a really gorgeous flavor like this antico for example if you're a full-bodied smoker like this is an enjoyable cigar yeah because this is yeah, got some is. pop it- it has pop, but it also has a, a refined beauty to it also. Like, you know, you, when you look at the Toscano Antico, it's a very dark Maduro wrapper. It's very oily. You're thinking, oh, God, I'm going to be knocked down for an hour after I smoke that cigar. <laughs> Not really, because the aging process of uh, 365 days really matures the tobacco in the, in the, in the temperature-controlled uh, rooms that we have, the way that we fire here, like we were just talking about in Italy. Speaking about the fire curing, like we were getting into just now, Baron, I'm sorry if I'm jumping. No, it's okay. I have a little bit of AD, I have a little bit of ADHD, so I kind of just go, and then if, if, if you need to stop <laughs> me, say, yo, Cap, come on, this is my show. Where are you going with this? You know. But um, kidding aside, the fire curing in Italy, we use oak wood. Okay? Here in the United States, we use hickory. So the oak produces a much lighter body, creamier, more honey-based sensation to the palate, whereas the American smoke with the hickory has more of that mesquite, a little bit more barbecue, a little bit more molasses flavor profile with hits of dark red and black pepper. So that's kind of why those two profiles mix really well together. And the Toscano Antico having an American wrapper with Italian and American fill is the perfect combination of both worlds. Yeah. I, um, I've, I'm really, I'm really enjoying this, this cigar. Uh, quite a bit and it, again every time that i smoke one it, i i pick up new things it's like the same with any other cigar of course but i pick up new things about it and what I, i'm really liking about this one especially is kind of finishing the first third of it is the uh the really nice hits of like fennel and clove that i'm getting um along oh, yeah. with that bold spice and it's really and so people who like oh like oh fennel like oh they they don't like that licorice taste um which is why people should you shouldn't drink Zambuca if you if you don't like licorice. That's the wrong, <laughs> Back to the original that's, conversation. Yeah. That's, that's the wrong. That's the wrong. That's the wrong uh, spirit to have. But, um, but it's it's just it's just enough. It's like the perfect. It's like the perfect Italian sausage with the right amount of fettle seed. You know. <laughs> so like, that a little a little off topic, right? So that is a point of contention in my household. So my wife's okay. family is from. Part of her family is actually from the town over from where my grandparents were born. Her nonna was born in the town over from where my grandparents were from. But her, her papa's from the, the southern, a little bit more south in the Abruzzo region. And this part's they cool used, because you guys didn't know each other. Like, No. This, and, that's, we had no idea who we were. We met through a mutual friend. Then we found out that our grandfathers actually fought. Uh, as, they were both 104th Infantry Timberwolves in World War II. Uh, both from this area, both Italian, like it was just the weirdest thing as we continue to uncover things. And then the town that Verona was born in that I just mentioned, Gualdo Tadino in Umbria, their town is always feuding with the town that my family's from, Gubbio. They, they always <laughs> hated each other. So it just, we always laugh whenever there's any disagreement. 
you know, my and our family see it like, oh, the old, the old rains are coming right out. Those <laughs> those those deep roots of hating each other are coming right out. But no, I was I, I was blessed to find my wife. She's the best thing that ever happened to me. But um, the whole point of the conversation is regarding the fennel and the sausage. I I do not like fennel in my sausage. Can't stand okay. it. Okay. My wife likes fennel in her sausage. So we had a gathering for, I think it was Thanksgiving and her mother made their stuffing. My family made mine. Both families were eating their own. Then there was like a discussion. Why aren't you eating mine? Well, why aren't you eating mine? We don't like fennel. We love fennel. It was, I, it's the, it was the dumbest conversation, but I laugh every time. And I had to tell that story when you mentioned the fennel seed in the sausage. So Sorry, that was off topic. But no, to but fennel is one of those things. Licorice is one of those things. It's just, it's a, we were talking about olives earlier. Like it's a polarizing flavor and you 100%. either, you know, people like it or they don't. And um, I think it's why people, you know, don't like Sambuca or they, you know, they're, you know, my, 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 we were talking about fathers before the show too. This is like a whole yeah. free flowing conversation, but uh, he used to love Easter time. Um, because man, like all the kids would give him the black jelly beans because he was all about it. And the rest of us. So you ready for this? You ready for this? Yeah. I love the black jelly beans. I don't like (laughs) the fennel seed, but I love the black (laughs) jelly beans and I love Zambuca. So, you know, I, I don't know. In fact, whenever my wife sees me drinking Zambuca, she's like, and you you don't like fennel aggravate me. I don't understand. Is that just you are like, is that just it? So anyway, the show is not about fennel, but I had I just had to throw that out there. No, great story, great story. So the 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 fire cured tobacco, or more more precisely, the Kentucky seed that's grown in Tennessee, and actually some of yeah. the some of the when it's grown in Italy too, it it looks very similar. Obviously, it, it brings about a whole different flavor components because it's grown worlds apart, literally. But yeah. Um, the thing that I noticed a lot from the photos in um, this, take this opportunity to talk about this book, the handbook of the Toscano cigar, which you gifted me a couple trade shows ago. Yeah. Uh, great read. Um, fantastic. But the, there's, there's a, and if anyone get, um, is this available for sale? Uh, you know what? I, it might be, I don't know if it is yet. I'll have to find out and I'll get you that answer. And you can let okay. people, if they reach out to you, I'll let you know. Okay. Yeah. Anyone can but DM have, me about this. If we have Toscano, stuff. if we have Toscano aficionados, please let me know because we'll figure out a way to get them a book. But it was this, this photo in particular, it was a, a, a or that I found in, in a, he's holding up, he's holding up some of the leaves and um, that were grown in the uh, Ben, uh, Ben, excuse me, for my Benevento, Benevento. Benevento region uh, or uh, Riccio. Yeah. Uh, it's nicknamed Riccio, uh, which is, it's more, it comes out more curly, um, but it reminds me, this is going back to our cooking here again, Michael, we're going to be doing this all night, I feel like, but it reminds I, me I'm, a I'm lot, good with it. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of, especially the vein, which is so pronounced, like it's so much cigar. I've been around other uh, tobacco grown in like the Dominican, um, and I've been to Jeff's farm in Florida with Florida Sun Grown, and the vein is, well, it's, well, it's pronounced, it's, I mean, it's so much larger on these on these uh, Kentucky seed le- uh, leaves. Like it, it reminds yeah. me a lot of uh, mustard greens, mm-hmm. um, particularly the way that they're shaped. No, don't eat this like you would mustard greens, but, um, but, uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's truly fantastic uh, that, and just really, really unique looking, really looking 
tobacco leaf and i and it's really exciting how you guys do the the whole process i read the whole thing it's it's really it's really fascinating now the fire cured process let's go a little bit back into detail about this so how sure. how do they do it you hang they hang it in the barns like you hear about traditionally in other in other countries but there's a different yes. process that fire cured goes through yeah so in italy uh they literally put massive, massive pieces of oak wood and every three hours they're stoking the fire to ensure that the temperature and the amount of smoke hitting the leaves is constant. And then they rotate the leaves to ensure that the bottom layer doesn't dry out too much. The top layer doesn't be too damp. And that is a, it goes through an entire process from dark green to light green to light yellow to medium yellow to dark yellow to gold to light brown to medium brown to dark brown so that that process from verde to marrone is the most important part of the fire curing process and you know it's it's really an interesting thing to see when i first saw it for the first time first and foremost to the leaf itself that you were just talking about i couldn't believe the size of the leaves i mean these things are huge i, I could not believe that the tobacco that we use to roll our cigars was the size. I mean, these, they were massive. I could not even fathom how big these leaves were. And then in addition to that, to see the differential between the American, where the American side, instead of using massive pieces of wood, we use a lot of sawdust with a bunch of hickory notes in the, the sawdust itself. Uh, okay. So it's a little bit different process to watch, but the overall thought is the same where they do the same thing. They stoke it, ensure that it stays at the constant temperature, smoke is hitting it at the right way, rotating the leaves, etc. So, you know, to go back to the original thing, when you're saying, you know, it's really, it's not as pronounced of a fire cure. That's why, because, you know, we do our best to ensure Not we, I can't even come close to taking credit for the amazing work that the fire cure barns do, but we take every possible uh initiative to ensure that every leaf is properly fire cured uh and it really is amazing to see when it's being fire cured and you know i was fortunate enough to see it happen in tennessee i saw harvest in italy but i saw the fire cure in tennessee and when they opened the barn the heat that just came out of there not just from the fire but from the natural ferment you know when the when the leaf itself starts to dry oh, and it yeah. starts to ferment itself I, it's it's phenomenal. It's almost an undescribable thing. You have to see it to believe it is pretty much what I tell people. You, you talk about the heat of the tobacco and I'm reminded about the uh, being in the bodegas with the pilons in 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 uh, the Dominican. Now, do they with with the, the the process that you guys do with Toscano, do you guys once it's once it's been fire cured, do you guys put them in in like pilons and piles or are they where, how are they? Okay. That's what yeah, I'm talking so they're about. Put in, yeah. They're putting piles and then they're shipped to the, uh, um, Fiano plant in, 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 uh, Tuscany. Uh, and at that point they, they go through and ensure they separate at that point. What's, what's wrapper, what's filler tobacco. Mm -hmm. The heat from those pylones was insane. Like they would lift just like, you know, huge, you know, like a, a, a handful of them, pull it up and you stick your hand in there and it's just, it's hot. I mean, it's hot. Yeah. 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 It's, it's crazy. I always say bear. It's funny that you say that. I always say when I do my presentations, the first time Toscano smokers, I compare the fire curing to when you cut your grass in the early summer, you dump the clippings out, the dew sets on it. The sun hits it. The next day, if you go back, 
you kind of smell that smell of the, the fermentation, the moist green that's happening. And if you stick your hand in there, there's heat. Like on a co cool summer morning, if you move the top layer of that cut grass, the steam comes off of it. That's natural fermentation. It's the same exact thing that happens with Cigarro Toscano tobacco once it gets wet. awesome i the um the thing that's probably um like was really impressive to me when i was reading the book and the uh and then i actually saw it firsthand because a couple of, of the trade show a few years ago i think it was when you guys were celebrating the 200 year anniversary you actually had one of your rollers there was yep. that the rolling process is a lot again a lot <laughs> everything's different a lot different than what um what we have come to accept as, as traditional premium cigars. Now I keep saying this and I want to qualify this. I want to correctly say this. Toscano is a premium cigar. You guys consider yourself a premium cigar. I mean, I consider it a premium cigar. It's a premium cigar, correct? That's correct. Okay. So, but it's an entirely different process because I mean, the, 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 the leaves are, are bunched and rolled and there's um, with few exceptions in the Toscano, por Toscano portfolio, no binder. Correct. So we'll there's only one Toscano that we have available with a binder, which is the Steel Novo. Right. Okay. Steel Novo is the only Toscano that has a binder. And when this, when the tobacco is rolled, it's it's wet. Yes. Yeah. Well, the filler tobacco is not wet. It's mostly dried. It, it's not like crispy or anything like that. It's, it, there's enough moisture in there to not break the leaf itself, but it's not wet. The wrapper, when we wrap, when the female cigar rollers wrap the, the filler tobacco with the wrapper leaf, they do use a paste, a natural paste from corn to dampen that. Then the filler tobacco goes in, she rolls it, she hits it a little bit more to close off the ends with that, that natural paste and then puts it in the tray to dry. She'll cut the ends off and put it in the tray to dry. So the cigar appears to be wet. Now, from that point, that moisture starts, starts to seep into the cigar at that point, and re-fermentation starts to happen again as the cigar continues to age. And I get that question a lot. You know, if you don't have your Toscano cigar in the, um, in the humidor, does it hurt it? Does it help it? It depends on the cigar that you're looking for. For example, I have half my Toscano in a humidor at around 68 to 70 degrees. I have the rest of them outside. If I'm smoking something that, that's a little bit more full body, then I'm going to take one that's outside because what it's going to do is, is produce a really uh, uh, more full bodied in a sense because the pepper flavor comes to full fruition if it's a little drier. If it's kept within the humidor, you get a much thicker smoke, but it seems like the tobacco is a bit more mature because the fermentation and moisture from the, humi the humidor is continuing to help ferment the tobacco. That explains a lot about this experience that I'm having with the Antico right now, because like I said, I, I, I love having Toscana around because I don't have to humidify it, but for the most part I do. I keep it just, right. just out of habit. Um, and so the Antico, which is something I gravitate towards because it is a more bolder flavor typically um, is this is a lot stronger. And th as, as I told you before the show, I, I use this, the show's opportunity to kind of restock on some of my favorites. And I grabbed, uh, I grabbed this box of Antico and over at Lake Worth cigars here in, in um, Dallas, Fort Worth. And, and uh, they had, they had them out. And I asked him, I just said, Hey, out of curiosity, how long have you had them out? And he's like, he's like, well, I pulled them a couple of weeks ago when you said you'd be by to grab some. So 
Um, so he had him out of the humidor for at least, I mean, at least two weeks. So that explains yeah. the, I mean, I did not, I mean, I, I, I mean, I smoked Dentico a while ago, but like, I mean, I did not remember it being this bold and it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And again, that's the great thing about them too. If, if you leave them out of the humidor and they're too, if they're burning and it'll, it'll also burn the cigar faster too, right? That's with any tobacco. Right, of course. If it's not, if it's not humidified to your liking, it's going to burn faster. So the faster burn kind of produces that uh, upgraded pepper flavor. But the great thing about it is, is if it's too dry for you, put it in your humidor for a couple of days, let it bring in that moisture. That's why these cigars to me are still living. They're like a living document realistically. And they're able to kind of change with, with the weather itself too. So if you keep Toscano in your glove box in the spring, in the Northeast, if, if it's nice and, you know, a rainy season, like we had this year, the Toscano tobacco is going to humidify itself. If you want it a little drier, take it back inside, let it sit. I mean, the cigars are so durable and so uh, multifunctional that you, you could have a blast with these cigars. And I think that scares people a little bit because it doesn't need to be put in a humidor, but if you properly understand the history and why we do what we do with Sigaro Toscano, which I hope this show provides to your viewers, you're going to understand why it's a lot of fun to have these cigars and play with them in and out of the humidor. I do want to explore some more parts of the humid, uh, the, the portfolio here in a couple of seconds, but there's some more of the history sure. that I want to touch on as well as your own personal history too, yeah. which I I'm fascinated to learn about. Um, how did the Kentucky seed, get to Italy? What is the background on that? How did it get there? So that's a great question. And it's one that, you know, there's not a definitive, definitive time. In fact, I was doing a show a while back. No, I was doing an event a while back and some guy was, you know, really questioning when and, and, and how Toscano got there. So a bunch of tobacco, uh, well before right around Christopher Columbus's time, uh, was gifted to, uh, the Duke at that point in Florence. And it came from what is now the region of Kentucky, Tennessee. So at that point, the year isn't 100% understood or known, but at that point or a little bit before, that's when the tobacco seeds arrived in, in Florence. And at that point, they started having a little bit of fun. Like I said earlier, they planted it, see what came. They did a little bit of a hybrid, et cetera. And sure enough, it started to produce this tobacco that was so unique in flavor. And then the accident, the massive accident happened, and Sigaro Toscano was born in 1815. It's just, uh, it's one of those things like, uh, I mean, you hear so many times about in, in history, like how things were created by mistake. Yep. And how, yep. you know, and that's, I mean, this. Some, somewhere along the line, I mean, 200 years ago, this cigar was created. And then from that other cigars were created. And then there's this whole, there's, I mean, there, I mean, you can divide sounds so negative, but I mean, there's, there's, there's literally a division of how premium cigars are made. There's the Toscano way. And then what we all, what we, the rest of the world knows to be what a premium cigar looks like is rolled like, and is made and everything. And so it's, it's crazy how a simple mistake in the middle of a field and, you know, a rainstorm of all things. Yeah. Could, could Again, start something. back to my quote about Mother Nature, she gave us this opportunity. Now it's our opportunity to produce that exact thing that she gave us to the 230 million plus consumers of Sigaro Toscano. 
And, you know, you did touch up for a minute on the female cigar rollers. I don't, if I'm jumping ahead, tell me to hold on. Oh, please, but if I can, I no, do want to talk Actually, about the next thing I was going to say. So, yeah, go ahead. Perfect. Please. So, um, I do want to talk uh, about the female cigar rollers because without those women, I wouldn't have a job. They are the lifeblood of what is Manifatore Cigarro Toscano. They're the ones that make the cigars for everybody to enjoy. Each one of our 40 female cigar rollers that we currently have rolling in the Luca factory, Luca's in Tuscany. We have two factories, one in Luca, where all of the long formats are made, and one in Cava di Terreni, which is down near Napoli, where all the aromatic short formats are made. Each one of our 40 female cigar rollers rolls on average, per day, per roller, 520 cigars. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, the female cigar rollers, too, a, a large portion of the current female cigar rollers that we have come from the original descendants of the f- original female cigar Shut rollers. The hell up. Yeah, I swear to God. So it's pretty neat. If you think about that, you have like a great grandmother who passed it down to her daughter, who passed it down to her daughter, who passed it down to her daughter, who passed it down to the current cigar roller. So like that, that, that alone is kind of really neat to think about. That's awesome. Those and every female cigar roller that we have in the Luca factory has to go through 18 months of apprenticeship before they even touch a piece of Toscano tobacco. So they have to fully understand from seed to roll exactly what happens with Cigarro Toscano tobacco before they can actually feel it and understand how to produce this, the Toscano cigar. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, they are uh, the backbone of really female labor movements because at one point they walked because they weren't being treated properly and they fought and they got equal pay and equal rights. So that's another added layer of historical significance to the Toscano cigar. So without those ladies, um, we're nobody. I mean, you know, I have the easy job. Uh, I don't want my boss to think that I, I that my boss, my job is easy, but you know, <laughs> I have the easy job in comparison to everything else that makes the Toscano cigar. It's final thing is final cigar. I go out and I sell the product. I go out and show, our consumers in the United States, how powerful this cigar is in every sense. The ladies in the factory, the the farmers that we depend on, the agriculturalists that are out there, you know, pruning the the tobacco plants, clip topping them to ensure that we cut the, the flower at the top of the plant before it pulls the photosynthesis away from the top two plants, the top two uh, leaves that we use in Toscano tobacco to our Foyano people who go and separate the tobacco and make it every experience, the perfect experience for every Toscano smoker to the, to people who are there ensuring that the cellophane is put on the right way to the, to the marketing team down to the sales team that we have here in the United States. It's, it takes a village and we're working and we're fighting every day to continue forward. And we are really, really fortunate to have the product that we have. And it all started back in 1815 and ends today with all of our female cigar rollers without them i can't say this enough without them we're nobody that's such an interesting part of history because i mean the women's suffrage movement all over the globe was such a was such a powerful part of history and and, and in a lot of ways women today are still are still fighting for that that equal foothold but it yep um it's it's terrific because I mean that could have that could have easily gone a different direction, right? That could have easily oh, 100%. gone. Oh, hundred percent. And and they ultimately won. And and 
not only is it not only is it celebrate not only is it like known and embraced by the toscano company but it's it it's all it's it's almost welcomed as part of their history you know like they turn that they turn that uh that moment that pivotal moment of history and 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 kept that tradition going uh with 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 the women's scars rollers it's it's fantastic and um and I'm, I'm freaking digging this cigar this is fantastic <laughs> Uh, I don't. I don't know if it's just the conversation with you, Michael. I don't know if it's because it's been a while since I've had one. I'm just appreciating it at a different level. But I'm man. It's man. It's freaking good. I was gonna light up some. I was gonna light up a Garibaldi, but I might light up another Antico. Um, I'm not kidding. So, um, but the, there was another story too that I really I thought was really fascinating. Uh, speaking of Toscana's history, uh, the unification of Italy was uh supposedly and i've heard you tell this story a couple of times uh but i like to think that it, it was so let's just speak that it was uh but it was done over a, a toscano cigar so can, can you talk to us a little bit about that i really wanted you to tell this story because i'm just fascinated by it yeah i mean again every toscano cigar that we have has its own stories and the most powerful is the one that you're talking about the toscano the Toscano Garibaldi, named after Giuseppe Garibaldi, the hero of the two worlds, the grand explorer. So essentially the story that you're talking about that eventually united the Italian Republic was when uh, Vittorio Emanuele invaded from the north of Italy and Garibaldi from the south. They ended up meeting in the middle of Italy, or so legend goes, and they were smoking the blend of Toscano that is currently named the Toscano Garibaldi. They cut it in half shared it. And at that point, that's when the Italian peninsula was unified. So, you know, that story alone is something like you just said, it's such an amazing story to hear for so many people. I mean, to think that a cigar helped unify the, the, the Italian Republic, but you know, the, uh, the tobacco itself in the Toscano Garibaldi comes from Benevento. The, the story behind the tobacco from Benevento is interesting too, if I could tell that very, very rapidly. No, please. So the, the fields where the tobacco of the Toscano Garibaldi are harvested fall within the, um, there he is right there, fall within the uh, shadow of Mount Vesuvius. Okay. So the Toscano from Benevento is a little bit sweeter in, in, in body, uh, not sugar wise, but body wise. And that's because they think that the volcanic ash actually changed the composition of the soil which produces now produces a little bit more of a sweeter tobacco. The Toscano Garibaldi is my favorite medium bodied Toscano by far. Uh, you get really nice notes of uh, roasted nut on it, nice leather tones to it. And then also that little bit of sweetness in the, in the, in the wrapper tobacco itself. So uh, that's the story of the Toscano Garibaldi. And it's one that really, you know, I always say regarding our industry as a whole, right? They're like the, the, the cigar industry b- brings people together doesn't matter your walk of life, doesn't matter your religion, doesn't matter your political views, doesn't matter who you are as a person. It, when you sit down and smoke a cigar with somebody, you're on the same playing field, no matter what. Thousand percent. You're that same person. You come to it a specific part in your day to share the joy that is a, is a, is a cigar. Toscano brings that to the next step because ultimately our tradition in Italy is to cut the Toscano cigar in half and share it with somebody. At that point, you share that immediate bond with that person that you shared the cigar with, and you smoke it and share the world's problems, and you're, you're, you, you bond and you really bridge a friendship that maybe wouldn't have happened before. 
my 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 nonno who passed away uh, this week last year actually. Um, he always used to say to me, you know, true trust between two men is found in Italy when they're walking arm in arm discussing the world's problems. But true friendship is when one of those men takes a Toscano cigar out of his pocket, cuts it in half and shares it. <laughs> and at, at that point, it really hits me every time I cut a Toscano cigar in half. Again, it goes back to that whole, you're smoking a piece of history. I can't cut a Toscano cigar in half without thinking about my grandfather and all of the different friendships that he shared over a Toscano cigar, much like Garibaldi and Vittorio Manuele shared when they cut the cigar in half and smoked it together. So what I'm hearing, Michael, is that we need to get some Garibaldis and we need to get some Republicans and Democrats together and the world's problems will all be solved. That's what I'm hearing. Well, at least temporarily, let's put it that way. At least everybody will have a smile and enjoy a smoke yes. and everybody will be on the same page, even if it's for the 50, 25 minutes that it takes to smoke half a Toscano. But, you know, the cutting of the, uh, by the way, I'm in on that idea, just so you know, but the cutting of the cigar itself has historical significance also. Okay. Is it, I'm going to touch on that real fast, if that's okay. Um, before Before the World War, World War II, mass production was up. Demand was up. The war hits, production falls, demand falls. But they still had a little bit of backstock as the war raged on. And Luca was really impacted very strongly by World War II because bombs were dropped. It, it kind of hit their rail, railways. Uh, Tuscany itself was really beaten, beaten up, and so was Umbria because that's where the uh, the, the fascists and the Nazis really kind of wanted those those hill towns because they were protecting uh, their their own people because they were all walled, etc. And um, once the war ended and demand started to increase, production couldn't increase at the same rate as demand. So they started to cut the Toscano cigar in half and sell them by the half stick to keep up with the demand mm -hmm. to ensure that all Toscano lovers had a cigar at that point. That's crazy. That's awesome, yeah. though. I, yep. I I just pulled out a Garibaldi, and I noticed that the uh, that it has the name right on the label, too, along with the the Italian flag on the back, too. So, yep, um, a little yep. bit different than uh, than the Antico that we pulled out a moment ago. Um, the uh, we're we're about to take a quick break here in the middle of our show uh, for for something, but uh, but just the last just the last part of that too. Um, the uh, the factory in Luca, and then the, there's the factory in uh, in Napoli. What what was the reasoning for? I mean, was it just capacity, or was there a specific reason why that? I'm assuming Napoli was opened was opened after the one in Luca. Luca's the older one. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Yeah, that's correct. Luca's the original factory where where all of the hundreds of cigar rollers that we once had were were housed. Um, as to why the Cava factory was opened. I'll be honest with you. I don't like to answer questions that I don't know 100% about. Oh, no I'm problem. not really 100% sure why they chose Cava. One of the reasons that I might think is because it's near uh, a couple of our tobacco fields where a lot of the tobacco used for the Toscanellos is. And then in addition, you have the Baia di Napoli, the Bay of Naples at that point, which probably initially was helping with shipping, etc. because there wasn't that much of a cost to get it you know, up to, to Luca, then Luca up to Milan to ship it out, etc. So, um, <clears throat> that would be my 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 uh, my my thought process on why they chose Cava. 
Okay. Um, well, we're going to take a quick break here for one of our fun segments here, Michael. And, uh, and uh, let's go ahead and dive in here. And uh, we uh, break up every show to uh, with our United Presidential Trivia uh, segments. So uh, never okay. fear, uh, it, it comes with a question, but it is multiple choice, so you won't be le- you won't be left in the wind or anything. So, um, but it w- uh, before we go into it, I'll go ahead and just go ahead and get this started with our um, the United Presidential Trivia uh, segment. Of course, is brought to you by United Cigars, featuring La Giana Havana and distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero. Garoppolo and the highly acclaimed Atabay, Byron, and Alfonso lines, which is shipping right now. Smoke one today and start living united. Garofalo, also an Italian name. So mm-hmm. yes, we're just all things Italy tonight. Uh we're just we're just completing the circle all around here, Michael. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but this, you know, Je- Jessup is uh is a suburb of Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yes. And Scranton is where our current president was born, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So uh, first time on my show that I think I've had someone who's probably close to a presidential birthplace, at least. Um, the, pre- the trivia question is not about uh, our current president Biden, but it is about Pennsylvania. And you mentioned okay. your five years in um, your five years in Philadelphia. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with Fairmont Park. Um, yeah. Um, it was the site of the Centennial United States Centennial Grand World's Fair in 1876. Yep. So 1876. So which president officially opened the Grandest World Fair on this uh, on in the United States Centennial in Fairmont Park, Philadelphia, on May 10th, uh, 1876? Was it A. James Garfield, B. Ulysses S. Grant, or C. Teddy Roosevelt? Was it Garfield? Close. It was probably a trick question because Garfield is really close, and Grant were pretty much ba- were pretty much in the same era. But it was actually Ulysses. That's what S. I Grant. thought. Yeah. Was, was it actually, really? Yeah. This is S. Grant. Which no I, kidding. I was surprised. I was surprised that the world's. This is something that, I, and I'm I'm a I'm a nerd for all things like presidential trivia and stuff. But um, the World's Fair is something that I've started to kind of look back historically at and read a lot more about the history. I didn't realize it went back that far. I thought it was more yeah. 1890s turn of the century. Um, well, I did too, until I heard that that was the case um, when I lived out there, but man, that's mind blowing that it was Grant. It wasn't, I, I could have, what, what year did Garfield, when was Garfield in office? Gar, well, he was uh, only in office for about six months before he was assassinated. So that, before uh, he was assassinated. Yeah. yeah that, um, I should have I really thought about that too. But uh, but he was the he was the of course the twentieth president, um, and he was just he was just after in eighteen eighty one, is when he became president. So, all right. But uh, um, but uh, um, but interesting enough, James Buchanan uh, was the so Buchanan and um, and uh, Biden are the only two presidents to have been born in Pennsylvania. So I also didn't story. realize that Buchanan was born in Pennsylvania. So, How about that one? Foreign, foreign story. Buchanan was actually the last U.S. president born in the 1700s, too. Hmm. Well, I was, I'll tell you, I lived in Old City when I lived in Philadelphia. Man, talk about, you know, you're walking to work. My, my apartment was right by Ben Franklin's tomb. So, like, just to oh. be stuck, like, literally, Old City, even though it's it's obviously a modern city now, to be there and think that, like, our founding fathers drafted the most 
popular the, the reason that we have what we have today right. literally three box blocks from where i live is oh. just absolutely it was mind-blowing every day and then walking by benjamin franklin thinking that you know he walked these same streets that i'm walking right now uh -huh. I, it's almost like you could hear it might sound a little corny but you could almost hear like the the clatter of the horse drawn carriages as you're going through especially at night like just walking on a, in, in the summer and just kind of taking in the sights at that point, it, it was, it was really, it was unbelievable. It, it was a great experience that I had. I was really fortunate to have it. And, um, you know, the one thing I don't miss about Philadelphia is the traffic, but that's a whole other discussion <laughs> we don't have to get into. But. Well, no, and that, that's something I was, uh, you know, when you said that you lived there for five years, I mean, that, I mean, you, you called it corny. I would, I, I, that would be mean. And I've, I've been to Philadelphia very briefly once, but I want to go back to spend a lot more time uh, just kind of taking in that kind of history and everything. But it, like, like you said, like just, I mean, independence hall, you know, is, is a landmark in this country now. And it's, it's, yeah, it, it, it's kind of bejeweled is the wrong word to use, but it, it, it's, it, it's been, you know, put up on this pedestal as this incredible place of history. And it is, but at the time, you know, it was just a, it was just a drafty room with that was incredibly hot when they actually wrote the document because this is july we're talking about july yep. 7, 1776 and yep. <laughs> um and it was it's it's unbelievable to think that um that that room that simple room where these these amazing men of history uh that founded our country you know drafted this document that you know i mean has some of the most finest words ever written with american pen and yeah. did it well, you know, I mean, they're probably miserable. I mean, just think I, I was warm today in Texas, you know, and, <laughs> um, you know, for some reason, my, our, our church decided to turn the heat on early and mm. thank God I wore short sleeves to church today. Cause otherwise I would have, I would have died of heat exhaustion. So we wouldn't have had the show tonight. Um, but mm. it was just so warm. Glad that didn't happen. Yeah. I just, I just can't, I mean, I can't imagine. The pattern. Well, and then, well, you know, like coats. you said, uh, <laughs> on top of that, like you said, the draftiness of it, even now, if you go, I did a tour in there a couple months before I moved. And I can't imagine in the middle of, you know, when they started their work, which I would assume was, you know, well before the summertime being in there in that ice cold room. I mean, it, it's just the windows themselves are, it's pieces of wood this, this thick. I, you, today that wouldn't even pass code standards never mind right. keep any cold <laughs> air out like i just it's amazing to really think about it really honest to god is and then to see you know the foundation of benjamin franklin's uh house and see where betsy ross uh was was located too i mean it was really you want to talk about a city that's jam-packed with what it is to be an american that's definitely that's definitely it the other place I want to visit is Powell House, um, to um, Washington frequented there quite a bit too, and to think that like some of these buildings are still standing, it's just it's just incredible. You know, it's great. yeah. I mean, even that bar, even like even that bar in um, in Boston, Massachusetts, where mm -hmm. you know all the guys were there, and then walking the same streets to Paul Revere. You know, I, I just it, it's it's really like you just kind of sit back at one point, and you're like. God, is this really real? Did, did, did this really happened? Like we're walking in front of the building where the 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 lanterns were. I I, I just it's like you know, 
one by land, two by sea, right? That uh -huh. I there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like you, you walk by that and you're like, my God, that's how they communicated to letting people know that there was about to be some chaos to ensue. Like, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I love history, though, kind of like you. Uh, apparently, I need to brush up on my presidential history. Uh, but, you know, I love the historical significance of everything that that's ever happened in, in, in our democratic institution. And then also, you know, being being of Italian descent, going back to the same streets that my grandparents walked that the Etruscans built, you know, it's it's more breathtaking every time you go. Let's just put it that way. The, well, the thing that I love about it, it's this interesting tryst of history, right? Um, because everyone remembers the midnight ride of Paul Revere. Um, but there were actually two riders that night. Paul Revere. Uh, I, I heard. Yeah, we we went on a tour and they were talking about that. Right. So Paul Revere is one of them. William Dawes is the other. Now, here's the crazy thing, right? William Dawes was actually successful. He evaded capture. Paul Revere was captured. Right. And that's that's the crazy that's the crazy thing about the whole story is that like, no everyone remembers Paul Revere's name but no one rem no one remembers William Dawes because he got away yeah because he he got away with it <laughs> <laughs> damn you damn you for being successful Dawes yeah I know you um, jerk that's funny but, um but yeah no a little uh, little uh, brief uh, stint down to history and, and memory lane here for us on the uh, United Cigar presidential trivia segment so thanks for participating in that Michael so I love um, it but uh, as always, the United uh, Pre uh, Presidential Trivia segment is brought to you by, of course, United Cigars, featuring La Gian Havana, distributors of Jose Domingos, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay, Byron, and now Alfonso lines, which is shipping to your nearest, nearest retailer today. Smoke one today. Start living united. Um, so, Michael, before we jump back into uh, more Toscano talk, there was another thing thing that we wanted to discuss uh tonight which was actually two kind of twofold because i i talked to you about this and, and there was a couple things you wanted to raise awareness about um but uh current events kind of shifted our our your thought process on this and you know every week i ask my guests to spotlight or um bring up uh and raise awareness for a nonprofit or charity of their choosing and um and this initially we wanted to talk a little bit about cancer research um, because of a unique story in your family. So we'll talk a little bit about that, but then we'll, we'll talk about the charity that we're, uh, we're going to be spotlighting tonight after that. So um, uh, please, I'll, I'll, I'll put the spotlight on you and you can uh, share the story that you wanted to, uh, to share. Yeah. So when we, uh, when we first had that discussion, our, uh, our family was hit pretty hard with, a, you know, a devastating year that actually turned out to be, you know, good, thank God. But, you know, my father in 2017, uh, one morning woke up and just collapsed in our living room and we had thought he had a heart attack uh, and it ended up being uh, cancer. And little did we know the path that we were going to go down uh, for the f ensuing nine months or so uh, where we realized that my father had a very rare and aggressive form of cancer that to this day, they still have not been able to pinpoint the origin of. Uh, so my father had gone through mass treatments, uh, a week in the hospital on a continual drip of a VIP chemo treatment that was, uh, you know, initially something they only give to very young people, but thank God my father was healthy and he was in the gym every morning and ran every morning. Uh, so my father at the age of 63, I believe, 
yeah, 62 or 63, was given this incredibly, for an initial, I believe it was an experimental drip at first. Um, the, it was our last resort. Uh, we had told, we were told that he had three weeks to, to, to live at that point. And sure enough, um, he got this treatment uh, thanks to the University of Pennsylvania. Um, and it saved his life. It was uh, almost five years ago uh, in, in August that that horrible day happened. And my father's with us. He's well. Uh, and it's all because of, you know, uh, these treatments, these, uh, the funding that these cancer centers get to, to be able to do what they do. I mean, they're, incre they're incredible miracle workers. Uh, one of the things that strikes me most about my visit wasn't even about my father. As devastating as that news was, the, but to go down to the University of Pennsylvania and see the children that uh, were suffering with this horrible disease that I, I can't even fathom uh, to be that young and be struggling as much in the way that they would just still smile at you. So that's why initially I wanted to consider doing something with University of Pennsylvania or CHOP, the cancer center at CHOP. Uh, but then, like you said, um, you know, our discussion shifted a bit and we decided to kind of concentrate more on the un uh, unfortunate natural disaster that just happened down in Florida. Uh, obviously the state of Florida was just ravaged by hurricane Ian and, uh, it's something that I never in my life thought that I'd see. I mean, it looks apocalyptic in some ports, uh, portions of, of Florida. And it's really, it's scary. And I know that some of our brothers and sisters of the leaf have been horribly affected by it too, whether it be retailers or manufacturers themselves. So, you know, my thought process is at this point, uh, let's shift our focus right now to the issue at hand. And, you know, concentrate a little bit more on the Red Cross and try to try to help out our brothers and sisters down in Florida, because uh, the devastation down there is just astronomical. I, 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 every time I, I, I see a picture, I, I tear up thinking, you know, my God, how, how it was that? How did that happen? How was that, that powerful of a storm created? You know, it's just yeah. something you, when you look at it, the devastation is just unbelievable. The only thing that I'm, I'm truly grateful for with Hurricane Ian is it seemed to move through uh, at a quick enough pace, you know, a few years ago with Hurricane Harvey when it came to Texas, you know, very far away from me uh, yeah. here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. But down in Houston, the, the I was just going to say, was that the, did Houston get hit yeah, pretty hard? Houston, by, that's what I thought. Yeah, and the problem was is the storm, it came, it hit, and then it went back out to sea, but then it came back and it sat it sat yeah. just over Houston and it wouldn't go away. And that was the crazy thing about it was it just, it just wreaked havoc because it just, it wouldn't stop. And it wasn't even as powerful of a storm as Ian, but because it just wouldn't go away, it, it ended up doing um, significant damage. But I mean, like Fort Myers, for instance, right now in Florida, because of Hurricane Ian is, is, is underwater. You know, um, yeah. I have a friend of mine of the cigar industry, uh, lives in one of uh, lives in a particular neighborhood. Uh, he's very blessed uh, um, because he was at ninety eight percent of Fort Myers lost power, lost utilities and everything. He's in the two percent. I mean, you want to talk about miracles? Yeah, him, that's him and for his, sure. Him and his family were, were in the two percent, and that's. I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable uh, what yeah. what's 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 happened. Like you said, it's. Yeah, parts of it. I mean, some of the images are almost like apocalyptic. It's crazy. And um, I mean, I'm I mean, I remember vaguely. I mean, I was I was young. I was nine years old. But um, 
I remember Hurricane Andrew and the devastation that it wreaked, uh, uh, wrecked uh, Florida with, excuse me. And um, but I, I, I don't know, is this worse or not? I, I can't, I, 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 you know, I, I don't have that reference. And but yeah, I, I, I couldn't tell you whether it's worse or not, but the like, you know, just seeing the devastation that's going down there. And, and it's just, it's, it's really difficult to see because a lot of homes that were destroyed are, you know, I mean, these are people that don't have anywhere to go now. You, you know, there, there's, there's going to be mass, mass issues with, you know, like you said, the electrical side of things, then, you know, the, the heat that Florida gets, the humidity, keeping people safe in that regard. I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's really a disaster. And I think that unfortunately, uh, natural disasters and mass casualty events like we're seeing down in Florida is what brings people together. I wish it wasn't that that brought people together, but unfortunately that's kind of what brings people together. So that's kind of why I wanted to highlight it today. Uh, we really have to just kind of start banding together and realizing that we're all here, you know, on the same rock for the same reasons. And let's just keep living and keep looking out for one another. Cause that's the only way we're going to be able to survive moving forward. And I just, you know, my prayers, my, my good thoughts, my well wishes are down with the people in Florida. Obviously, it's easy for somebody who lives in Pennsylvania who wasn't affected to say that. But, you know, realistically, that's why highlighting the Red Cross tonight is a, you know, a, a push button for me, because I think it's important for us all to, to realize, you know, within the cigar industry, as I mentioned, but to just also too for people who just lost everything in the past week. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So you, you can, uh, I put the, the link in the show notes. Uh, it, I'll put it in the show notes, but I also put it in the chat too as well. Um, Red Cross uh, donations of all kind, monetary. They also have blood drives and everything too. So any way that uh, anyone wants to help out, it's great. It's, obviously it's the Red Cross. It's a terrific organization. We don't need to talk about the storied history of the Red Cross. They do incredible work and there's incredible, there's tons of incredible organizations that are down there and that will be going down in the coming weeks. Uh, to do a lot of great work uh, down in Florida to help out, um, you know, um, our, uh, our fellow brothers and sisters, um, and uh, we we uh, just ask you to uh, to give generously if you can and are able to. Uh, Michael, later tonight, what I'll be doing is I'll, I'll be uh, sending a don. My wife and I will be sending a donation, uh, as is tradition on this. So, sending a donation to the Red Cross in honor of you tonight. So, thank you for thank you. Uh, for bringing this up and. Uh, we, uh, we wish everyone down in Florida, um, anyone who's hurt, speedy recovery uh, for all the physical damage. We hope that uh, everything gets rebuilt as quickly as possible and it becomes uh, the home that you uh, once had before, uh, even better bef be even better than before. So so thank you, Michael. Um, but it's a great thing that you do, by the way. Oh, thank you. Uh, it, it, it's, I love uh, it. We're coming up on our two-year anniversary of it. Um, I launched it on my birthday two years ago. Um Ironically enough, on that very first show was Miguel Shodell, um, who is down right now in the Fort Myers area. One of the save, uh, one of the one of the people that actually, thankfully, was okay. Him and his family. Um, and it was, it's it's ironic because he was on the very first show where we launched uh, this segment. And it's it's something that I've always loved doing. Um, has been has been charity work and stuff. And I've um, I've always been limited monetarily and and my wife and i talked about it and and i was like i wish i could do more and and she's like well you have a platform what could you do there and and so 
And so the segment was born. And so it, it's Love brought it. to light incredible organizations incredible, and, and, and it's also open great discussion with people throughout the industry. And some of it's cigar related. Most of it's not, frankly, most of people bring charities and, and nonprofits that are, you know, near and dear to people's hearts for a variety of things, everything from animals to children <clears throat> to, uh, to poverty and hunger and, uh, it's 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 been fun um, in a lot of ways, and we've and hopefully we've helped out some people along the way, which is you know the whole reason why we started it. So absolutely. Um, but getting back to Toscano cigars a little bit, let's talk about your history with the company. So um, you are the U.S. ambassador for Toscano cigars, and um, um, before we get into that journey, I have to know. There's I'm I'm going to share my screen here because there's something that I just I have to know the story behind. Um, because it looks like something out of a film. I'm not going to lie here. So um, we're going to bring this up. Give me one moment. Um, all right. Should be able to see my screen here momentarily. That's a picture of you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Um Michael, I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. It looks like you're. It's. It looks like you're leading a re a revolution or something in like the 1930s. <laughs> I, I I love this photo. It is the. It is by and the only thing that could make this photo better. And I know you have a couple uh, uh, with Toscano cigars, but this one you yeah. are sans it. But that was the only thing that could possibly make this photo better. This is the coolest uh. looking photo I've ever seen. What 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 is going on here? You have several photos uh, in this. Um, what I'm assuming is very traditional garb. Yeah. And uh, and I, I want to call it a a, um, a crock or or a jug of and it's San, San Antonio. Is it is it a, is it the San Antonio Festival uh, commemorating the saint? What what's going on here? I'll, I'll stop. I'll shut up and let you talk about it. So the uh, one of my second biggest passions, aside from Toscano cigars and my family and and my wife and everything, is this festival. So this festival is in honor of the patron saint of Gubbio, Italy, which is where my grandparents are from, Santo Balbo. So essentially what you're looking at right here is in 2018, and the story behind this is really, it kind of ties into what we were talking about, about my father. In 2018, I was elected to be the uh, Capo Dieci or the captain of 10 of my team. There's three teams represented by three saints, Santo Baldo, Wears yellow and uh, red. San Giorgio wears blue and red. San Antonio wears black and red. I'm with San Antonio here. I was the couple of the H in 2018. Um, they elected me in, uh, aside from the work that I do with the nonprofit organization that I'm vice president of, the Santo Baldo Society, they elected me as the couple of the H that year uh, because my father, the year I was born, was the couple of the H of San Antonio when we were due, oh. when we had the, the festival in 1988. So it's a yearly festival. It's been going on in Gubbio, Italy since around 1187, I believe. Uh, we, wow. yeah, we brought it to the United States, the immigrants that came from Gubbio in Umbria settled in Jessup, Pennsylvania, uh, and became nostalgic for their home. And this was one way to kind of break that nostalgia by bringing back the Festa di Chedi, where we run through the streets with 600 pound statues on our shoulders uh, and dress in, as you said, traditional garb. Uh, I, uh, it's been in Jessup since 1909. And I'm very proud to say that our festival, unlike a lot of festivals in the country, ours is growing, it's not shrinking. 
We have a lot of young people involved uh, and the festival just continues to really be uh, the red beating heart of uh, Lackawanna County. And it's something that I'm very, very proud of. So this picture depicts me right before I raised our saint up. That jug that you talk about is called the Broca. And inside the Broca is a uh, mixture of homemade wine from all of the winemakers in our town, mostly older people that we go and honor in the morning. So they dump in some of their wine. I dump that wine over a pin that holds the big statue onto the platform that I'm standing on. It expands the wood and it locks it in for the day as we run through town. Um, once that is emptied, I throw that broca into the crowd and it shatters. And people, uh, the people in the crowd run and grab pieces of it. Uh, and if you get a piece, it's a year's good luck. And if you get the handle of the broca, it is a lifetime of good luck. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So th oh, wow. Th th this is a great. I thought this was in Italy. I thought you went over to Italy. It took place. It took like part of a festival and stuff. And th but this is, this well, is I do go. So I go every single year to Gubbio in May, um, minus the COVID years, of course, to celebrate the festival in Gubbio in the originating town that it, that it happened in. Uh, but we were, like I said, the immigrants from that town brought it to Jessup in 1909 and we've been running it. Um, you know, we had to stop for a couple of years in the between 52 and 76, but we've been running it every year that we possibly can. And we're on a great streak now from 2000 on to 2002. We've had the Festa dei Chiedi every year, minus 2020 when COVID, you know, took over the world. But we uh, still celebrate it virtually at that point. And this is something that means the world to me, this festival. It's a great opportunity uh, to show the generalization. Um, uh, of uh, who we are as, as a people. And it's also an awesome generational festival. Uh, my great-grandfather did it in Italy. My grandfather, when he came, when, when, they, when the family came over, did it here. My father did it. I'll do it. And if I'm blessed to have a child in the near future, he'll do it also. That's beautiful. Oh my God. It, yeah. it's, such a great, it's such a great photo. And it's such a great yeah. moment. What an what a unbelievable um, part of history that you're that you get to carry on what tradition? Oh, that's awesome. There, there's another photo I that I saw too that I felt um, was a little bit more personal. I didn't want to. I didn't want to share that. That one was just awesome. I had to share it with everybody. But there's another one. I, I, I'm I'm assuming it'd either be your father, maybe your grandfather. That you're in, that you're in this very very loving embrace. And it, I mean it. It I mean it. It touched me, Michael. It really did. And I, I mean I didn't yeah, know anything picture, about it. But it was that picture. Bear is my favorite picture because. Um, that was in 2019 before the pandemic, the last Festa de Chedi that my grandfather saw. Mm -hmm. So what we do is during the day, we bring the statue up to all the past runners or to houses where they're deceased runners and bow in front of the house to honor the older people. And we did that. And that was the hug that I gave him right after the, the saint was put down and we popped a bottle of champagne and stuff. And, uh, you know, this year was tough. It was the first year without him. So they still brought the statue up to, to where I live now, which is my grandfather's house. We, my wife and I refurbished it and they bowed in front of it. Um, and they'll do that now until, you know, I'm no longer here. Uh, but it, yeah, it is. It's, it was, it's one of my favorite photos ever. And my other grandfather, even though he's from Southern Italy, my pop Roccobaldo used to participate in it also. So it's kind of awesome how across the entire gamut, everybody was, uh, everybody was involved in my family. So it's pretty cool. Josh. Yeah. So, um, I mean, obviously, I mean, obviously you have this, this, this rich Italian history with your family. 
that uh, that came over and settled in Jessup. And the in the the great again, we talk about happy accidents and great twists of irony, right? This in history, Toscano comes to the United States and sets up shop not too very far from where you are now. Uh, yep. in 2015 for for mass distribution here in this country. Um, so how how did the and you you told stories about how your grandfather used to talk about Toscano cigars too. You had that a great incredible quote about friendship a moment ago. So I mean, how did how did all this come to pass? I mean, how um, how did you become the U.S. ambassador for Toscano? I'm still not sure why the hell they chose me, but you know, neither here nor there. I was, um, we won't tell your boss. This, actually, this is... <laughs> he's probably watching actually, yeah. cause he's in the United States. He was here for a week. So I'm curious to know if, if he's watching, but I really, realistically, I owe a lot to this company. Uh, this company is a lot more than just a company. They've, they've become dear friends and part of my, my personal family, uh, throughout hardship and throughout great times, so I'm 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 indebted to the team at Sigaro, MS Team Manifattore Sigaro Toscano. But the reason that I'm doing it, I kind of fell into it, Bear. To be honest with you, I wasn't into tobacco beforehand. I mean, I smoked cigars, but it wasn't anything like you know like I do now. Um, my when my dad got sick, I left Philadelphia and moved home. Uh, I quit my job there uh, to be home with the family at that point, and I was at uh, a meeting an Italian American club meeting. And I had run across somebody that uh, was the CEO of Avanti and Prodi at that point, uh, Luciano Simeone. And uh, long story short, he called me a couple weeks after and said, Hey, you know, uh, we have a position we might want you to fill, you know, why don't you give me your resume? I want to, da, 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 da. at that point, I wasn't really interested because my father still wasn't well. Um, and then he approached me again a while later and I finally said yes, and the rest is history. That was uh, five years ago, and, and it was, it's been the best five years of my life. I've been able to travel across the country and to Italy uh, much more consistently than I used to. I usually go one, once a year. Now I'm going two, three times a year for work and to see my family too. Uh, oh, and it's just been, it's been an amazing, amazing, amazing journey for me. It really has. And you know, like I said, it's a mutually beneficial thing because I've developed so many great friendships with everybody at the team of Manifattore Sigro Toscano, even our brokers that we have here in the U.S. that are, you know, the real soldiers, the foot soldiers on the ground for us, the retailers, people like you guys in the media that make it possible for us to continue to grow. The friendships that I've been able to, to make over the past five years are just, they're, they're not replaceable, so... Uh, I'm incredibly, incredibly honored to be part of not just Sigaro Toscano, but the, the the premium cigar industry in the United States. That's wonderful. So, I mean, what we can we can assume on what the duties of the U.S. ambassador is, but like, what what is that? You know, rather than assume we just hear it from the horse's mouth. I mean, what what are your duties entail, and what what is part of the responsibility that you have? Because there, there is a part of this that I want to get to where you, you say you have the easy part, but there is some difficulty in which I'll get into. But from a day-to-day -day perspective or a responsibility perspective, what, what does that look like for you? So the majority of my job really is education on our product, whether it be to the end consumer when I do my pairing events. You know, my pairing events are really... Uh, they seem to be well received by the people who attend them, uh, where I go through pairings with different alcohols, different chocolates, different foods, etc. to training the retailers and their staff to training, you know, even media people training the people like you on, on what Toscano is, how to get that message out, because ultimately, 
as the United States brand ambassador, it's really imperative that I pass my education on to the next person. Because when I leave that area, they're the brand ambassador. When I'm not there, they're the brand ambassador. Um, and I really do. I have to shout out to all of our brokers that we have, because another part of what I do is I help train our brokers on the product and product knowledge and stuff. And they're great at what they do. They're really killing it. They're doing a wonderful job. Uh, and, you know, it's just that that's that's kind of the day to day uh, back and forth that is managing uh, you know, my, my duties as national brand ambassador. The only downside is currently is travel because it's like, as you know, it's, it's flights and, and everything like that. It's, it's been a, a journey, but I've learned to just kind of laugh and just continue to move forward and, 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 and make it work. I mean, it's a first world problem, I guess. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, the majority of what I do is educating end consumers, retailers, our, our, uh, sales force, and just getting the good word out about Toscano. Yeah, travels, uh, travel, I can't imagine what it's been like for you. I, I recently went through the Atlanta airport, and it was the first time ever that... Um, I Plenty of times, they, they always pull my bag, because they always find the cigar cutter. And they always look at it, and they always <laughs> put it back. And then they take me back. It's become tradition. I get My bag gets stopped. It just does. Um, but... Um, a lot of people in the cigar industry use this, this particular but this type of butane lighter, right? It's a plastic. Um, yeah. And they say it's foolproof that you can get through security. Mm -hmm. No problem with this. And so I was like, all right, I've never really tested it. And I finally was like, okay, I'm going to do it this time. Um, and so I went through security with it. I'm like, and so in Atlanta, he pulls out the cutter and he's like, you, you can't take this. I'm like, okay. He's like, well, do you want to check your bag? I'm like, no. It's just a cheap cutter that I've had. And it's one of my travel ones. And I'm like, you know, if it ever got busted, I was like, Hey, Chuck, it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Right. And he's like, really, you just want me to throw it away. I'm like, yeah, unless you want to keep it, I guess. I don't know. Like, I was like, I said, that cutter's probably been, in, I was like, that cutter has been in more places than I've been technically. Cause you guys have lost my luggage a couple of times. So, um, <laughs> so, um, it was just really, it was just really funny. He just was like, okay, well, let me go talk to my supervisor. And I'm like, surely enough, he's going to keep digging. He's going to find that lighter. Right. And that's gone too. And I'm like, okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, and sure enough, he comes back and he's like, no, like I, my supervisor said the cutter's good. He can keep, and he keeps digging. He finds this lighter. He pulls it out. He's like, huh? Okay. And he puts it back and then that's it. I was like, are you kidding? I was like, oh my gosh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Uh, I'm like, gonna assume he was a cigar smoker. That's gonna I, be my assumption. I maybe, maybe I get like, but yeah, he was just like, you can't take this. I'm like, okay, <laughs> That's like go for, it, go for it. Um, but um, but going back to uh, going back to the uh, the role that you have, um, we, we talked about the difficulty of it because again, it is educational. You know, this everything about this product is different. We'll say it for the hundredth time tonight. Um, and so there's a lot of people who aren't very open-minded when it comes to cigar smoking, I'll say it. Um, and so when they take a one look at a Toscano, they probably have probably some of the inferences that I had initially and everything. And so that takes a, probably a great deal of, uh, of convincing and everything. What, what, what are some of the, you know, I guess technique is probably a overused term, but what, what are some of the things that you talk about that, that kind of, have gotten to open up people to, to try Toscano? Is it, is it just the education piece, the history? I mean, is it all of that or what, what is it? I, I think it's a good blend of everything there. I think talking about the history of the product sells a lot. 
Um, but the product itself sells. So realistically, when I'm at events and if I have a couple of guys that are there just to kind of, you know, uh, whatever, I just did it because I like the shop owner. He wanted me to come just to open up my eyes a little bit, whatever. They're the ones that I concentrate on the most because they're the most fun to see the evolution of Toscano overtaking them. Uh, my biggest tool that I use is, is like almost being a little bit of a, a kind bully, pleasantly persistent. I'll literally say to somebody, listen to me, the cigar, I, I'll, I'll give you one uh, out of my private stock. If you buy one, you buy the cigar, cut this one in half, share this personal cigar with me. It's from my stock. Share it with me. I cut it in half and I light it and we just sit there and I just watch. And I just let them kind of tell me what they think. Nine out of 10 times are like, holy shit, I never thought I would smoke this cigar. It's a great cigar. How much are they? They're in five packs. They're in boxes. Boom, boom, boom. We move forward from there. One of my best success stories was when I was up in New England doing an event. Um, and there was this guy in the shop that just refused at first. He just, re I want nothing to do with it, et cetera. So I went and I bought him a cigar. I bought him a Toscano. And I handed it to him. And he goes, well, thanks. And he puts it in his pocket. I said, no, 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 no. I said, you can't. I just bought you a cigar. You have to You have to light that cigar. You're not smoking one currently. You have to light that cigar. I just gave it to you. He's like, yeah, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm not in. I, I got I'm like, dude, you have to cut the cigar in half and, and just smoke it. Just light it. Take six puffs for me and tell me what you think. He looks at me. He goes, I've never had somebody be so annoying. I said, I understand that. But just just do this. Do me this favor. So he does it. He stayed for the rest of the event and ended up buying a crap ton of Toscano. <laughs> Best part about the story is every time I go up to that area, he comes out and he'll buy a couple boxes of Toscano uh, from me. So, you know, it's a combination of the education, <laughs> the product itself. But the best way to get Toscano to move is to get it in consumers' hands. Oh, that's... I've never had someone be so annoying. That's awesome. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and I took that. I took that as a compliment. I really did. I was like, "All right, that's fine." You know, you could you could badmouth me. You could tell me I'm the worst human on earth. Just try my cigar. If you hate it, you could even throw it at me. <laughs> and he ended up loving it. So, I uh, I was uh, the way this story was starting. I was wondering. There's a, there's a story I've heard you tell, and if you don't mind sharing this one too, is a it was a group of bikers. Oh yeah, I thought that was the, the this was where the story was going. So, if you don't mind sharing that one too as well, because I think this one's really good too. Yeah, well, I mean, if it's the one that I'm thinking of, it was in it was in the Chicago area, if I'm not mistaken. And I walk in and there's this group of bikers sitting there and they're smoking their, you know, whatever it was, a six by sixty or whatever, and they're they're just doing their thing. And I came in and I had a separate event at another part of the lounge. And instead of doing it in that part of the lounge, I brought the 20, 15, 20 people over closer to the bikers. So then I start talking and these guys start looking up and they're like, are you serious? And I was like, well, you're here now. You might as well try the cigar. So what? So then they start getting in on the event. Long story short, they fall in love with the cigar. And I said to the one guy, I'm like, listen, take this cigar right now and go ride your bike and tell me if it breaks apart. He yes. went on a little ride. He's smoking the cigar. He comes back, he goes, it, it, it did not break apart. And I was going pretty damn fast down the road. This is a good stick for us. And I go, I went back the following year and probably 70% of the guys that were there initially came back because they heard that I was going to be in the shop and bought more Toscanos. So it's, uh, which is why we actually came up with um, some really neat art. I don't know if you could see it over there. 
So, oh yeah, we came up with some really cool art. I, we had them at the show this year, and the top one is that's right. I remember, motor, yeah, a motorcycle because motorcycle riders are falling in love with the product because they can keep it in their side saddle, smoke the hell out of it. It doesn't unravel as they go. And I just love seeing that becoming a thing is pretty much what the, what it is. Yeah. I, um, I put this to the test. Um, we had a, I had a really, we had a really windy day recently. Um, and this is why I need to restock on my Toscanos. And I, yeah. um, we moved to this, this house. And, and the reason we moved out here to the country was we wanted we wanted more space for the for the boys to grow up with and, and stuff. And so with that, um, I also have a large responsibility of, of mowing the grass um, with the ride mower. It's like the greatest thrill of my life because I actually have a riding mower now. But um, um, but it was a really windy day. And I was like, I'm going to I remember this story. I was like, I'm going to I want to I want to I had no doubt, but I wanted to test it out. So went out there and I'm going, I mean, not. 60 miles an hour like on a motorcycle but i mean it might it might as well have been because this wind was coming in hot like it was just just hitting me and i was going you know well you know 25 miles an hour on this thing but it felt like 90 and i mean this the the construction of the cigar held up it was crazy it was absolutely yeah. nuts it was just so yeah. insane um but you, you mentioned how that you can keep it in their side saddle people keep it in their glove compartment you can keep it without humidification what why do Toscanos not need humidification? Humidification. So it's a combination between the two processes, the ferment, the natural fermentation with water and the fire curing. It kind of locks in the nutrients and oils that you need to keep at a specific humidification level so the cigar doesn't crack, etc. It locks those nutrients and oils in, so there's really not a necessity, as high a necessity as other premium cigars. Uh, that plus the binder, the lack of binder on Toscano is a big, big part of that. Because ultimately, if you think about a cigar, a lot of what cracks initially on the cigar would be the binder. Um, not the wrappers like a lot of people think, but yeah, right. That's correct. It's usually the binder that, that cracks. So that kind of cuts that out. So that's, that's, that's pretty much why, I mean, it's just, it's a good, like I said, from the beginning, it's a durable cigar. It's a universal cigar. Toscano has... In my opinion, I think when we first came into the market, Toscano was like the, oh, the dog walker, great, you know, coffee break type thing. Fantastic, which which it still is. There's no question. That's a portion of Toscano that a lot of consumers like. But Toscano has evolved into not just the quick smoke that I want, you know, a good flavor profile to. But to sitting back in the backyard, lighting up a Duecento, which takes you an hour and 40 minutes to smoke and really enjoying it paired with your favorite bourbon, your favorite wine, your favorite soda, your favorite chocolate. People are starting to experiment with Sigaro Toscano, realizing that it could be entwined in every part of your day, whether it be the quick smoke for the coffee in the morning, quick break, you know, being in traffic for 35 minutes on your ride home from work to home. Or, like I just said, sitting out back, enjoying it, cutting a cigar in half with a grandfather, a father, a son, a friend, a wife, whoever you want to share the cigar with and smoking the hell out of it and just enjoying every second of it. Toscano's grown to be that type of cigar now. It's not just the, the you know, short smoke. It's become part of who we are uh, for those who have become Toscano aficionados. It's terrific. It, it's... Uh, it, it, it really is. A, it, it's it's a very 
unique is the word that kind of gets thrown around way too much in our industry, but it really is a unique smoking experience. And for people out there who haven't tried it, really, you really need to experiment Toscano because there's some there there is a cigar for you. The portfolio is pretty vast. Um, yeah. And you've been a part of some pretty pretty awesome projects in the last few years too that have kind of taken this to a different level. You mentioned no binder on most Toscanos. The only one that does has this, is the Steel Novo, which was a limited edition you guys released a couple of years ago. Uh, talk yep. a little bit about that project and why you guys decided to experiment with a binder for probably one of the one of the first times. We won't say the first time because I'm sure they're somewhere in 200 years. Someone said, "Hey, let's try this." And <laughs> well, I can tell I can tell you it's pretty. I to my knowledge, it's the only Toscano that has the binder that was ever released for like mass production and, and stuff like that. So. Uh, I think the thought process behind it was to overcome the thought. Cause I think that a lot of cigar smokers outside of Europe, outside of Italy, obviously kind of look at Toscano and they're like, well, if it doesn't have a binder, how the hell is that a real cigar? So I think that the initial thought was let's make a Toscano cigar. That's a little bit more in line with the production of the Nicaraguan Caribbean Cuban cigar and see how it goes. But what actually was born was a Toscano cigar that was desired, not just because there's a binder to it, but because that binder that's aged of four years of Italian tobacco really produced an extra layer of pop to the cigar. And it was a very popular cigar when it first came out. Uh, we're almost we're almost through the stock that we have now. If you see Still Novo on the shelves, pick it up because it's not going to be there forever. Like Bear said, it's limited edition. So I think that's the whole reasoning behind it. I think we were trying to grab, especially when we first came into the country, you know, show people that even though it's a little bit different cigar, we are, you know, we are in in, in the same playing field as the other premium cigars that exist out there. And but just like the other Toscanos that we've talked about, it doesn't need humidification. And you could cut it in half too. It's 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 probably the only cigar that that, that exists with a binder that you can still cut in half and smoke. And by the way, if you do buy it, I suggest smoking it in half because when you cut, there's two ways to smoke Toscano: a la marimana, full, or amazetto, cut in half. So cutting the cigar in half gives you the beef of the cigar, the full body of the cigar, the second you light it. Whereas if you smoke it a la marimana, full. You get the first third, the second third, and the third third. The second third is obviously the, the fullest body part because that's where the beef of the tobacco is. But cutting a Toscano cigar in half is, it was done by, by necessity at first, then it was done by tradition, but it's also done by some Toscano aficionados that really just want to taste that full-bodied experience right from the first puff. You know, I can I can honestly say I've only done it a handful of times, and you're you're dead on with that kind of experience. I'm going to start doing it more because I I think I want to do some more experimentation with it. Particularly, I'm going to go back with the Antico and do it with that one because I think that'll be a unique experience because that 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 cigar already had some pop to it. I'm 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 smoking a Garibaldi right now, but yeah, Antico is fantastic. I'm still going back to that. Holy crap, so good. I'm going to need to go buy more of these, but um, the uh, the other, the one that was released last year, another limited edition, even more limited than the Steel Novo, uh, which was the Nobile. Uh, what was uh, what was special about this project? So the Toscano Nobile was very, it was very different from other cigars because of the aging time that we had on the tobacco. The Toscano Nobile tobacco was aged for ten years, so it was a very mature tobacco. The tobacco that you smoked with the Nobile wasn't as full-bodied pepper punch 
but it was more mature in that it really brought out all those earthy tones that you look for that are characteristic of Toscano. It kind of makes them explode. Just like any tobacco bear, the longer you age it, the more complex and mature the tobacco becomes without necessarily increasing the body. So that was what was so special about the Toscano Nobile. Um, it took off really well. We're, we're, we, I, I don't believe we have any in stock. If we do, it's a very, very small, small amount. Uh, it's no longer in circulation. Uh, and it was a good success for us because again, it was another stepping stone into the premium, premium market. Because one thing that we always got was, well, your cigars are aged from three to three months to a year. Do you have anything more? Well, that's when Stil Novo came because the tobacco was aged for four years. Then the Nobile came, which was aged for 10 years. And we continue to grow on these different requests we're getting from the American consumer to try to really get out the fact of who we are and that Toscano is that, 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 that uh, premium cigar that you might be missing in your rotation. Very, very excited. Now there was another exciting release that was released this year, which we'll get into in just a second, but I do want to take a moment to talk a little bit more about the portfolio as a whole. And we've kind of talked sure. around it a little bit tonight. We've mentioned the Classico, the Antico, and the Garibaldi, which I had as this year choices. But before the show started, I was smoking, just to kind of get warmed up, I was smoking a Toscanello, the Rosso Cafe, the Macchiato. Um, very sweet, uh, and, but also sweet and savory. Um, mm -hmm. Wonderful. I got a lot of brown sugar out of it, um, as well as, you know, coffee notes and everything. It was beautiful, beautiful cigar. Very, very tasty. But, um, I mean, I, I mean... Break down the portfolios, you know, if you could a little bit for us. Like there, I mean, this is this is what we have tonight, uh, and what we presented to you was for choices for me to smoke tonight. Literally scratching the surface. Um, yeah. How does the how does the portfolio divide, and and what does that look like for some people who walk into one of your tasting events, or just go into a retailer that uh, one, that that has Toscanos? What what could they expect to see? Yeah. Um one you know what bear i think my i my i uh pod just went out hold on one second um, can you hear me okay yeah it's a little bit lighter but i can hear you yeah yeah because i had to put the other one the, the other one died um so the whole the whole thing behind our portfolio there's two well there's a lot of sides to it but there's two sides to break the cigars into uh the first is the toscano the long format and then there's the Toscanello, which is the short format itself. Okay. Can you still hear me? Or you know what? Let yeah. me try to do it without let me try to do it without my earbud for a minute. Let's see no how problem. that sounds. No problem. Charge them up. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Is that can you hear me better now? Yeah, absolutely. Can you hear okay. me still? Yep, perfect. Okay. Um, so the the Toscano, the long formats are the Toscano Classico, which is all Italian tobacco from Tuscany, aged for six months. The Toscano Garibaldi, which is all Southern Italian tobacco uh, from Benevento, aged for six months. The Toscano Antico, which is an American wrapper and Italian-American fill, the same cigar Clint Eastwood smoked in the Spaghetti Westerns. The Mille Quattrocento Novanta Due, or the 1492, which is all American tobacco, aged for a year. The Nobile, which is no longer in circulation. The uh, Stil Novo, which is the one that we just discussed with the binder, the Italian binder, American wrapper and Italian fill, aged for four years. Uh, the Toscano Duecento. The Toscano Duecento is my favorite long format cigar. It's the largest Toscano that we have. It's 8 by 40, 46 ring gauge. A lot of tobacco, really creamy, savory, 
velvety smoke in that. It's an American wrapper with Italian and American fill uh, aged for a year. Then there's the Originale. The Originale is the original blend from 1815. It's uh, same same blend of tobacco uh, as the Duecento, but it's a shorter cigar, making it a little bit more uh, spicy and powerful. Uh, um, then you have the Toscano Extra Vecchio, which we just mass released at the beginning of this year. The Extra Vecchio is aged for nine months with mostly Italian tobacco from Ponte Corvo. Ponte Corvo, Tuscany, produces the highest octane uh, cigarette Toscano tobacco that exists. Then you have the Toscanello line. The Toscanello line are the aromatic cigars. These cigars aren't flavored. They're aromatic. So essentially what it is, is the, the, the filler tobacco is fire cured. Once the fire cure is complete, we add it in barrels and put food grade extract into it with coffee, chocolate, vanilla, grappa, which is Italian moonshine, the macchiato, which is a creamy coffee, and the aniche, which is uh, the anastar. Okay. The seed of the Anastar. The wrapper on all of those cigars doesn't have any of the aromatics. Um, it's again, it's more infused in the middle, and the wrapper is just fire cured tobacco. The only one that has a little bit of extra uh, punch to it is the macchiato, where there's a little bit of brown sugar on the tip of the cigar, which is oh, you that's <laughs> that's why yeah. I taste it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The the uh, what was the one with the star anise? The Aniche, it's called the, the, to, yeah. the Tos, uh, Toscano Aroma Aniche, Toscanello Aroma Aniche. That, that was the, the first Toscano I ever smoked. No kidding. Yeah. It's an interesting one to smoke as your first one. I, uh, well, my general manager at the time said, he's like, this is totally your bag. Cause he's like, he's like, you'll like it. And I did. Good. He, he knew, he knows my palate really well. He's like, this is really, this is really an, unusual. And he's like, you'll you'll really dig it. And I was like, okay. Well, so the, I the Aniche, who I think, it, it, like you said, it's a love-hate relationship. But if people give it a shot, number one, it cools the palate. It's a great cigar to have after smoking a couple. Took the words out of my mouth. It was very yeah. cool. I remember that. Yep. It's got a very, uh, not uber minty, but a little bit of mint to it, a little bit of menthol. Cools the palate down, hints of mm -hmm. lavender to it, and the anise on the back end. Uh, it's a great palate cleanser, and honestly, that's a good cigar to smoke at the end of the day to kind of cleanse the palate and don't uh, necessarily have a horrible, horrible experience the next morning. Yeah. The Grappa is one that I know that Coop likes, our yeah. good friend Will Cooper, and I have I must confess I haven't tried it, but I really want to try it. What, what, uh, you said Italian moonshine. What, what is that? What, what does that mean? <laughs> like, so what? what so grappa itself is the last press of the grape. So after wine is made, there's the remaining, the peels of the grape. So that's the final press of that. And it produces, once it's um, uh, distilled, it produces a really high octane alcohol. Uh, the flavor profile on the Toscanello grappa isn't like an alcohol flavor profile. It's more of a really wit rich, deep wine uh, with where mm. you can really taste the grape itself as you're smoking it, not grape like grape flavor, but the actual yeah, grape not flavor. not Welch's, yeah, 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 I gotcha. like a good like a like a Barolo wine. That's really how that final press. You can almost taste the final press of the grape with the Toscanello Grappa. I gotta get a, I gotta get my hands on some. I really want to try that. Yeah, they're really good. That's one of the cigars, honestly, even for me that I overlook sometimes, and then I smoke and I'm like, oh shit, I forgot this was this good. Why aren't I smoking this more? You know, so. The uh, Aniche was, uh, like you mentioned, was very cooling. I, I likened the coolness of the smoke. It, it, I'm glad you said it because I didn't want to sound stupid. 
Um, but it does have that men- that menthol-y kind of cleansing of it. So I can see why it's great for cleansing the palate. But the smoke was so cool. It reminded me a lot of smoking like traditional Churchill's. Why uh, I like the Churchill Vitola so much is because that long chamber really cools the smoke uh, down. And so you get a, a much different sensation than smoking like a Corona or a Robusta, which I'm more inclined to smoke because that's like my typical Vitola. Um but that, that brings up a certain commentary about the two cigars that I've smoked tonight, the Antico and the Garibaldi. Now, I've smoked it long format. I did not cut it like you were talking about, which I'm going to be trying uh, more this week. But the in the long format, I find the, 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 the smoke to be incredibly cool, mm-hmm. which, um, which is also... Again, it's kind of the same thing that you were just saying about the Churchill. It's, you know, the, mm-hmm. it, it does cool the tobacco as it, or as the, the smoke as it goes through the cigar and through the tobacco itself. Absolutely. So um, before we talk about the latest project uh, in the, from Toscana that you guys launched at this year's trade show, uh, I'm going to get in trouble for this if this is, ends up being a bad story. So I apologize. But there's an Andrew Brown in the chat who's mentioned. Oh, that no. tells me that I need to ask about the moldy salami. Tell What, no, what am I getting myself into here, you're, it's, Michael? You're not. You're, it's, okay. So, all right. I'll tell you the story. And this ruins it. So, Andrew Brown is a retailer out in Washington with Brown and Sons. If you're in Washington, make sure to stop in. Andrew's a great guy. Their family's fantastic. Um, not surprised that he had to comment about this in, in this chat. chat. Uh, the one cigar that I didn't talk about because it's for the, the specialista accounts, which we only have 35 in, in the entire United States, they get a couple extra SKUs to carry, uh, is the Modigliani. The Modigliani is named after Adamo Modigliani. And the story behind that is, is Adamo Modigliani used to use the ash from this particular blend of Toscano and his saliva to trace out his drawings. And then he would go ahead and paint. Andrew and team out there didn't know how to pronounce Modigliani. So they started to call it the Moldi Salami. <laughs> okay. And okay. that is the story behind okay. Andrew's <laughs> Okay. Thanks, Brown. Appreciate it, buddy. No problem. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad. I was like, this could go really bad. I, I Sometimes when people in the chat throw stuff out, sometimes it goes really, sometimes it's a great story. Sometimes it goes really wrong. I'm glad. <laughs> glad it's just us not being able to pronounce things in your mother tongue there, Michael. So, um, but, um, Thank God but, there's nothing else behind that story. Let's just put yeah. it that way. <laughs> so, um, and this past uh, trade show, uh, just a couple months ago in July, um, you and I were uh, able to spend some time in Las Vegas, and uh, when it's 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 sincerely has become one of my favorite uh, uh, stops the last couple of trade shows and everything, just because um, so much history to learn. As as I've always talked about, I'm a history nerd, so it's it's always good to stop and chat with you. But we had a great conversation about your uh, latest project, the Master Age. Now this is. Yeah. We talked about the Steel Novo having the first binder that was mass-produced for Toscano cigars. Uh, Master Age is the first mass-produced Toscano that requires humidification. Uh, so it, it was done in three parts. There's Master Age 1, Master Age 2, and Master Age 3. Um, talk a little bit about what was behind this project and, and what, uh, what uh, your fans can expect to see from these particular Toscanos. Yeah, so I mean, the Master Age, like you said, Bear, was released uh, at the show, uh, and they're selling wonderfully in the retailers that have taken them in. We're really excited about it. Master Age is a little bit of a different product, so it's it's 
it's the the baby of our amazing master blenders, Massimo and Danilo, realistically. I mean, you know, they um, we're really fortunate to have these guys on our team. Um, the Master Age series is different for Toscano because, as you said, it does it should be kept in a humidor uh, for one of two reasons. Number one, the most important is throughout the entire maturation process, which is an entire year, 365 days. We have a, an affinatore, as we say in Italian, or a refiner going in every day to check the temperature and humidification level to ensure it's constant throughout the entire maturation process for all three blends. Um, due to that, the Toscano Master Age cigars should be kept in a humidor. The second side of the humidor um, thing for Toscano Master Age that's helpful, especially for the retailers, is you're catching people that sometimes when they see Toscano outside of the humidor are like, mm, I don't know if that's going to be my thing. It may not be as premium as I want it to be, may not have the flavor. Now they see it in these gorgeous boxes that our marketing team created. And people are realizing, oh my God, this is an amazing stick. It's really phenomenal. And the good thing about the Master Age blends is it gives it, each blend has a different body to it. So for example, the first blend is an American wrapper, uh, excuse me, an Italian wrapper with Italian and American fill. Just a little bit lighter body, more of that oak flavor, a little bit of creaminess, etc. Blend number two, the Master Age number two, is more American tobacco with an American wrapper and Italian and American fill. Just a little bit more full-bodied, a little bit more mesquite, a little bit more molasses to it. Then the third cigar is a full-bodied, all-American tobacco cigar. However, the maturation process and ensuring that temperature stays constant throughout really, really mellows the cigar. It's still a full-bodied flavored cigar, but it's not as, it kind of, you've been using the word punchy, like the, the pepper punches a little bit. That kind of pulls back a little bit, and it affords the consumer to really taste the glory and the deliciousness that is American Italian tobacco, if that makes sense. Sure. So these cigars themselves have been um, they've been an amazing addition to our portfolio. There's a lot more coming down the line in the years to come, and and it's just it's it's really an exciting time to be part of Manifattore Siguro Toscano. Uh, the United States is one of five countries that actually has the Master Age cigars too, which is pretty neat to think about. Italy itself doesn't have the Master Age. Oh wow! Okay, okay. Yeah, at least for now. The two is the one that I had the opportunity to smoke, and I I really I really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, I'm really looking forward to to smoking the uh, the the one and the three as well. But um. If you're a full-bodied smoker, like you say, I would go with the three because the one's a little bit lighter. The three might be your your bag of tricks. Yeah, I, um, I believe Coop smoked the three, uh, and I think Ben smoked the one. Ben Lee smoked the one while we were there, so it was a, a really, really enjoyable experience. To uh, great conversation as always, and everything. So, um, you know, Michael, I, I can't thank you enough for tonight's conversation as well this has been a fantastic uh fantastic opportunity to speak with you i've got a couple more questions if that's all right with you um, before uh, we wrap up for tonight's show and i know we left so much meat on the bone which is fantastic it gives me the opportunity to hopefully welcome you back if you'd grace me with your uh grace me with your presence again uh we can talk more toscano for hours i'm assuming uh, i'm sure um but uh but this uh next uh, particular segment i think I'm really, uh, I'm really excited to always hear 
when we launched the segment, I'm, I was really excited to hear from pe- different people's perspective. But when I um, invited you on the show, this was this was the segment that I was looking forward to the most. And I and uh, I'm no pressure or anything. I just uh, I'm just anxious to hear your answer to it. And this uh, next segment, of course, is brought to you by Asylum Cigars. Refuge is more than just a physical place. It can be a state of mind. Some of life's greatest reflections can be found in our own personal asylum. Moments like these were made for Asylum Cigars. So light up an asylum and choose your refuge. So, Michael, this particular uh, segment is about uh, about you and your relationship with a cigar. So we've talked a lot tonight about the rich history of Toscano the incredible position that you have with Toscano and what it's the afforded you the, uh, the ability to be super annoying <laughs> to that one individual <laughs> or uh, just a welcome guest in most humidors like Andrews uh, there in Washington. And um, cigars are very communal based. We talked about it, you know, I mean, it literally brought a country together, your, yeah. your homeland. And, uh, and that's why we all love cigars, but every once in a while, you know, as individuals, we're afforded an opportunity to just be in that 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 moment of solitude, that moment of refuge, where it's just us and the cigar. And it could be us celebrating a moment in our life. It could be for no particular reason at all. Uh, it's just the moment is just you and the cigar. So if you could look back, you've probably had several in your lifetime, but if you can look back and remember a moment where it was just you and the cigar, can you remember what you were smoking? What was that moment all about? Yeah, I I honestly, I think I can. I really think it was uh, the Toscano Duecento. And it was the night that I proposed to my wife. After we had a, so I proposed to her in 2020 uh, on Halloween. Um, We had an outdoor party uh, with just our closest family and friends. And Penn State played Ohio State that day. I have to throw that in there. We ended up losing, but we, we played a hell of a game. You know, beating Ohio State is always, uh, you know, a difficult thing to do. Uh, and, you know, it was the best day of my life, uh, obviously, until I got married. Uh, it was the best day of my life at that point. And I remember everybody left uh, and I was sitting just I had just cleaned up. My wife went inside to take care of some stuff inside. And I was sitting in the chair and I cut the Toscano Duecento in half and I sat there and I had a, a wonderful cigar with an amazing, amazing bottle of wine uh, that my nono uh, and I were, were to share at one point in my life. And uh, it was at that point that I opened that bottle and it was uh, uh, the, the thoughts going through my head were just the what what path I'm about to go down, not just with my wife, but in general, because mm-hmm. things had turned around. My dad got better. At that, you know, he was he was a hundred percent better at that point, and 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 I just uh, proposed to the lady that I my the person I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. So uh, that cigar is probably going to be the most important cigar that I've ever had, and I still have the band from that particular cigar <laughs> in the ring in the ring box that I gave to uh, gave to my wife. Much oh, beautiful. Um, did it taste any different? I had Duracentos yeah. before. Yeah. Yeah. It did. I, I don't know if it's more of a placebo thing or if it's just like, you know, oh, I'm on cloud nine. But I think with anything, even the, the wine, like I had a really good Amarone that night and Amarone is my favorite wine. The sip of that wine, that first sip of the wine was like I was on top of the world, man. 
I was the, I was the king of Kings at that point, you know? Uh, meanwhile, I'm a nobody who lives in Jessup, Pennsylvania, but for that very short time, I felt like I was on top of the world. And yes, the flavor profile was just everything at that point, every, every sense that I had was just heightened. And, uh, I, I don't think I'll ever forget that. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Yep. Uh, when I, by have the you- way, I'm a, I'm a huge softy and I usually cry when I talk about things that I didn't cry once tonight. So that I'm pretty proud of myself. <laughs> for that. Um, me too. I've cried. I've, I've cried a number of times on the show. I've had a couple of people that tears too. So, um, but it's, um, well, we'll have, we'll have plenty more moments in the future. Maybe you and I will shed a tear together, but, uh, uh, I do want, uh, I, there's so many, there's so many things I questions I want to ask about your, uh, about your recent trip to Italy though, with your honeymoon, cause it looks so much fun. Um, yes. and, uh, I want to get into that story, but I want to save that for the next time I have you on. Cause I would probably could spend another two hours just on that, but no question. Um, but uh, this uh, this is this does go into the last question of the evening here, Michael. So this is our Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust curveball segment. Fastballs or curveballs, it doesn't matter since the company's inception. Steve Saka has been knocking them out of the park seven consecutive years in the consensus top three. Congratulations to our good friend Steve Saka. So this is a little two parter. Um, I like to do this every once in a while. So um, you, you're 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 fluent in Italian, correct? I think I've asked you this before. Um, are those the only English and Italian, the only two languages that you speak? Yes. If there was another language you had to learn, had to learn, what would it be and why? Probably Spanish. Um, my wife was a Spanish teacher before she became vice principal, but I think Spanish at this point is probably the second most powerful language, whether you talk about business or personal uh, Italian for me, I love it because I grew up with it. I, it's part of what I do every day, but I think Spanish would definitely be that, that, uh, that, that third language, uh, again, business wise, personal wise. And then also it's almost as amazing sounding as Italian is. So, and I think I'd be, I think it'd be easier for me to learn because it's a romance language. Also. Yeah. I was just say probably a lot of similarities. Um, did you speak Italian or did you speak English growing up in your household? So we did, I was fortunate to grow up in a household that's uh, my grandparent, my grandfather, uh, my nonno spoke, spoke Italian very well. He's the reason that I, I do what I do. My father grew up speaking Italian um, and my town itself, we have a lot of Italian speaking citizens. So I, I, I spoke English my whole life, but Italian was always a language that I held near and dear to my heart. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm speaking like, like I know what I'm talking about here, but like when, whenever you, whenever you're talking about, you know, whether it's cigars or just uh, about just stuff in general with it, you, it, you can, you can tell and you can see how natural it is, how you, you go back and forth between English and Italian mm-hmm. and how it doesn't, it's not disruptive. And what, yeah. what I have to commend about you too, Michael, and I haven't been in a, a, in a, in a well, that's not true because the the we were we had a conversation and, and forgive me his name Mario right we were sitting with Mario at the tr- the trade show the gentleman that no. you brought over Bernardo 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 yeah excuse me and um, forgive me my apologies um and uh, so I mean that time we were we were floating between you were floating between English and Italian but um 
I grew up, I grew up in El Paso, Texas. And so that was very much Spanish speaking. And I, I grew up in an English speaking household, but Spanish is definitely a part of, you know, my community and stuff, but most people didn't really speak Spanish or English. It was Spanglish. Right. So it's a combination of the two languages, which is basically a, you know, we talked about Spanish and Italian being the romance language. If you want to make an anti-romance language, it's called Spanglish because it just sounds, <laughs> it sounds horrible. It, it just, uh, I've, I've always said that. And this, this, this is a signal single biggest reason why I do not put bilingual on my resume because I do not speak Spanish. Uh, I refuse to say that I'm fluent in Spanish. I understand it really well. I can read it incredibly well. Um, but, um, I absolutely cannot speak it worth, worth and worth a shit. It's, it's awful. It's insulting to most Spanish speakers. So, um, but the, uh, the grace in which you do it is just really, it is something that I've always noticed about you in conversation. And, uh, and it's something I wanted to talk about a little bit. So the second part of this, this question, this curveball segment was, uh, obviously it, your, your heritage is deeply rooted in you. It's very, very important. Um, but if, if there could be, if there had been an, if there had been another, if it, Italy was not an option yeah. to go to on your honeymoon with, and to have this incredible experience with you and your new bride. And again, congratulations. Cause I know this is a recent, recent, uh, development for you being married. So congratulations once again, nine um, months. It's been, I can't believe it's been that long already. That's not, we literally bear. We said that today. When we, because I told you right before the show, we were my wife and I were watching The Walking Dead. Yes, we're probably one of four people in the country that still watch The Walking Dead. And uh, <laughs> she turned to me and she's like, "Can you believe it's already been nine months?" I was like, I, "It's crazy. It seems like yesterday." I can still remember this time last year getting everything in line for two months down the road. It's 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 crazy. It's absolutely That's insane. Nuts. Um, what would have been the other country? What would be, where else would you have chosen as a destination if Italy was not on the table? You know, I would have loved to go to somewhere like Fiji or something like that, a more tropical, really, you know, type of place like that. But my, on my bucket list, I have two places on my bucket list that I really want to go. I really want to go to Israel and I really want to go to um, Egypt. Both, I, I just think that, uh, both countries are so rich in history and so much more rich in older history than I'm used to. And I just think it's, you know, outside the box, I think it would just be really interesting to go see. Well, I mean, Israel for sure. I'm, I'm, I'm religious as well. And I'm, I'm, I'm Protestant. I know you're, you're Catholic obviously, but um, my, my grandmother was Catholic. And so I was raised with a lot of those traditions. Um, I mean, the, the history of the church that goes to that region, obviously, I mean, the very root of it, um, right. Which it would be incredible. What, what, a, what in particular, any place in particular in Israel that you, I mean, everybody says Jerusalem and everything. So I, I, to be honest with you, I, I would just like to go and kind of like what you're saying, kind of walk the path of where, you know, everything was founded if you will, when sure. you talk about the church, et cetera, I think that it'd be neat to, you know, and I'm not saying I'm, I, I, I'm a religious guy. I'm not, you know, over, overly religious, but I'm, you know, I'm very, I'm very spiritual in that. So I think that regardless of your faith, I think going to somewhere as powerful as that is really something impressive. Uh, and then when it comes to Egypt itself, I just, I've always had an obsession with, you know, uh, ancient Egypt and, and, and mummies and, the, the pyramids <laughs> and 
and all that stereotypical stuff. But there's just, again, when I talk about spirituality, there's so much there that that's yes. so, so interesting and mind blowing. I just think it would be really awesome to go. So th- those are the two places on my bucket list that I want to go. They do this tour every once in a while. And I was fortunate enough. My, my sister is a, um, is a registrar uh, for the Whitney museum in New York. Um, before that she worked, yeah, before that she worked at the Met in New York. And before that she worked at the Dallas museum of art and they did this. What's that? Quite the resume. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's brilliant. She makes, yeah, she's, she's obviously the brains in the family. Um, but, um, she, uh, she put together along with her team and the the team from Egypt and everything put together this, this traveling exhibit of King Tut. They do the, they do this internationally every once in a while. And, they brought a, brought a lot of it. If if when they and they're they're sure to do it again at some point, um, which will probably make the rounds and we'll probably end up. At, I would say at least in Philadelphia, if if not some you know some other place close to you. Um, and I know um, New York's not too far from where you're at either. But not um, But uh, I, if you're interested in Egypt, Egypt, uh, Egyptian history and everything, it it's it's definitely worth uh, going to that if you can't get to the real thing like. Uh, before but uh it's it's awesome it was really really cool awesome cool um unlike uh, i know most people say jerusalem the place i want to go to is bethlehem i mean listen there's no i probably should have said bethlehem too there's no question but you know I, i just think that the whole that whole zone itself is just so interesting not even just israel every everything about that zone is just so amazing i i there's there's you know as somebody who travels a lot i'm incredibly ignorant to the reality the beauty that exists outside of where i travel if that makes sense you know what i mean like there's always something else you can do and and that area itself to me you know anywhere in the middle east is just something that i just i i I, there in the middle east and 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 i don't know there's just so much more that i want to do it's hard for me to pinpoint two uh, so that's why when you asked me, actually, you asked me for one and I gave you two. Right. So, you know, there's just so much that I want to see and want to do. So it's hard to hard to really, you know, put into words, verbalize where I exactly want to go. But Bethlehem would definitely be somewhere I would be very much so interested in seeing. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, Michael, again, I can't thank you enough for sitting down with me for it's been a couple hours. If you can believe it, it's flown by. Uh, What a wonderful conversation tonight. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you, um, you know, both personal and professional, sharing more about Toscana cigars and uh, all the joys that it can bring uh, to uh, the cigar smokers around us. Uh, If you have not tried Toscana cigars, you are missing out. Uh, There is plenty. The portfolio is vast, as Michael described. We'll uh, definitely have you back, Michael, to talk more about it. Uh, Can't thank you enough for... uh, your time tonight and uh to all our audience as well who tuned in and for everyone else listening later uh you can always uh, check us out every two every sunday night we've got a show here on ellos fumar's facebook page you can check us out later on our youtube channel where you can hit the subscribe button uh ellos fumar is the name of the channel there our facebook page is also ellos fumar uh, if you listen to us later uh, on podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts, Elos Fumar Takes. That's hashtag Elos Fumar Takes. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and review. If you already are a subscriber, do me a favor. Hit 
unsubscribe, but don't forget to resubscribe because that helps my numbers so that I can get great guests like Michael uh, back on the show anytime that I wish. And uh, really do appreciate all the likes, shares, and comments. Keep them coming as always. Uh, check out the redcross.org. I put the, the comment in the, in the comments. It'll also be in the show notes. Please consider donating uh, to our, our all of our friends down in Florida as they're in special need right now um, after the devastation of Hurricane Ian. Um, we, they definitely need your help as well. So check that all out. Uh, thank you again, Michael, for all of your time tonight. It's been a blast. And uh, for everyone out there, I'm Barry Duplissy, live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. He's Michael Capolini. Guess what, everybody? We'll see you next time. Thanks, Bear.